0: Let me start Weird in the beginning, and then it should be smooth, it says recording, okay. We're good? Yes, we are good.
1: All right, I guess I will just kick it off. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is a particularly awesome special episode, not just because our guest is awesome, but it is our 30th episode,
2: so... Haram. Oh, congratulations! congratulations. Yeah. yeah, whiskey. Hell yeah, yeah! Cheers, cheers yeah. for that. Thanks, guys. So, me on and cheers. Everybody.
1: Wonderful. And we are joined today by. I hope I don't fuck your last name up. Is it Paul lesserone
2: You're the first person to ever fuck it up. No, it's Paul Lacrone.
1: lacrone
2: No, it's okay. I've I've actually never met anybody. And I don't mean this like to to be mean to you. But who's messed it up? It's like, oh, it's Paul Lacrone. I just assumed that it was easy to pronounce, but that's just because it's my last name. Mine
1: gets messed up all the time.
2: I'm Paul. sure I messed yours up on my show, too. Yeah. No, it's like... No, I think French.
1: he said it fine. I think he said it okay. Le, is, so is yours French, LeCron?
2: Yeah, though I don't have like a huge French family background. I don't know how to speak French either. It's just... I'm, I'm going
1: to Google later the etymology of it. I'm like, what does it mean? I don't know if you know what it means. but
2: I think um, it means the crow the crow, pretty badass. The crow yeah. Yeah,
1: it sounds like crow oh
2: literally.
1: yeah all right so dude paul thanks for joining us man um and thanks for inviting me on your show which is kind of how we sort of met digitally in the current of metaverse all you but guys ever do is invite each other on each podcast no i know, I know 70 you know, we won't even say he's gonna saying? watch
2: this and leave a comment watch Sorry, 78 different guests and i have you on and then it's like oh well, hell <laughs> thanks, yeah, yeah we're, we're just circle jerking it's all we're doing uh, paul is the
1: host of the Penguin Latte Podcast, which is his own podcast, and if I recall correctly, you co-host Moral Panic, right, with Christian Watson on his channel.
2: Yeah, I think we still do. Yeah, yeah, we're still doing <laughs> that. It's been a while. It's, it's <laughs> been a while
1: since a new episode. And you also do video editing, correct?
2: Yeah, correct. Last I checked, yeah. Book, uh-huh. book, shitty nerd. video editing and then not so shitty video editing.
1: Book nerd, anime nerd, all those
2: cool things. Should we, we... vibe with it? <laughs> we cool is it a little generous, but yeah should we play your pronouns video
0: oh yeah we just saw this
1: earlier (laughs) might
2: as well because people in the comments might not really kind of understand how to refer to me the correct way i think it would be a little little educational you know for for them to
1: and i definitely found this humorous what was this channel what's your channel again paul Uh, i think it's
2: it's just my name yeah right i I have that latte you have two channels 100 subscribers Custom YouTube that's channel nice. name. Yeah, I know. Next week I'm gonna do a preferred adjectives video. All right. You have about you have about the same amount of subscribers as us,
1: so we're we're both like relatively like noobs and unknown, so it's
0: okay. Uh,
2: we've got the screen share. <laughs> oh my god! Uh,
0: hold on, hold on. I gotta fix it. So
2: that we're gonna bear it out right
0: but everyone needs to know your pronouns
2: that's okay i embarrassed mike harlow in my show with his like old content yeah everybody needs to know my pronouns Get <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh... yeah, mike harlow i'm gonna go dig up my stuff
1: so cute so how how do you add those to your bio
2: <laughs> oh well when you have a i guess when you have a blue check mark you get a uh, extra room on your bio and you just uh copy and paste it into your bio well your I bio, I would
1: your bio require a lot of space to say put that pronoun in it like what language do you write that pronoun in man
2: that's uh that's that's um, that's the Zalgo language. I'm not even gonna bullshit you. What I did was like I went onto like Zalgo text generator, that old creepy pasta from 4chan way back in like 2010, and just I actually uh, the second pronoun in the video is the first is one of the lines from the Communist Manifesto, which says the history of of the world is a class struggle. I just pasted that in there. <laughs> yeah, if you look really closely, you'll see what the text I put in the Zalgo text generator in there. Yeah
1: so video editing how did you get involved in that is this something you went to school for did you go to school i don't know or did you go to school, no. for, oh, you- school for art okay. no i didn't go to school for it So, did you study did you go to school anywhere i don't know
2: when i was supposed to be doing actual homework in high school i decided to not do that and make youtube poops actually i got i kind <laughs> of got my start in the yeah in the world of youtube poops now it's I actually remember, really so. so what youtube poops are um they were very popular back on the uh 2010s to- early uh late 2000s youtube culture on the internet and there are these mashups of old nintendo cartoons just old shitty cartoons and random clips from like the 80s and then other current at the time memes on the internet mashed up to form this sort of postmodern, modern narrative uh comedy bit for like two minutes and it's actually It was. It takes a lot of work to make a YouTube poop because you actually have to. It's it's such a rapid editing style. So I got roped into that when I was in like a freshman year of high school, essentially. And I just I downloaded a video editor and I wanted to like make these shitty memes instead of doing homework. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I got my start with video editing. Um, Even before that, I was. (laughs) Even before that, like uh, in sixth grade, must have been sixth grade. I was doing these old shitty Super Mario 64 emulator videos set to Scatman John. And you can actually look up that style of video, though mine aren't on YouTube anymore because that old channel no longer exists. I really wish it did. I would love to watch these over again. But if you look up like Super Mario 64 Scatman John, you'll see videos that other kids my age were making back in like 2007. And so I was making those. Then I got into YouTube poops in high school. And then I actually I did take a video class in high school. I think it was um, 11th grade uh, with my buddy Tommy. And anytime we had a video assignment and we were given access to the school's equipment, like the nice cameras and their video editing suites, I said, no, 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 I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it the shitty home movies, terrible editing style. That I love and make my videos that way. And some of my old class videos are actually on a separate YouTube channel, which I've shared here and there on Twitter, that I can send you guys sometime. So it kind of just started off with (laughs) the, yeah, definitely. I can definitely send you those. It started off really quick though. YouTube,
1: oops. I remember those, dude. I used to watch those things. My friend Manny. uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but. Uh, him and I used to share those with each other. Yeah, and those, oh, yeah. those are some—I would say—the earliest memes, and and I, I want to say the second wave internet culture about when YouTube and, and social media start to blow up more. So from 2006 onward to yeah, and then by the by the end, uh, you know, you get 2010, you enter a new sort of decade. But those yes. Early, yes. those early memes from that culture. Man, I remember that stuff. I like remember.
2: Mama they, Luigi, I did a lot of
1: like really yeah. like like you said rapid editing style, but they uh-huh. did these like really crazy sound editing. Yes, yes. Hips and like like lagging sounds. And crazy yeah, you
2: and you like would that. stretch the time and it would distort yeah. it. You would go like a you would take a sound clip and stretch it as long as you could to make it sound really long. It would make yeah. it really loud
1: too. huh. so it like freaks you out when you're watching it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Those, those are crazy. So. Yeah did any of yours ever like go viral ish
2: N- viral ish no there was just other random people in the youtube poop yeah. community i guess who saw it, but none of them got more no like 10k, 10K no views idea. no was idea that? that
1: that was a community dude yeah that's yeah. a community there was actually an internet community gathered around making these things like did you guys like go on a forum or something like
2: I'm sure there were forums, the community for YouTube poops back then, and this might be different for it today, was kind of how things get recommended. I don't quite remember how the algorithm worked way back then or how recommendations worked, but it kind of just existed in the videos in the comment sections themselves, if that makes sense. It's like there wasn't no central hub, but through the distribution of these videos on the Internet that was the community i think you still see that in pockets of meme videos today on the on youtube
1: pepes are sort of like that they're kind of a a modern form of that there there is no i don't think unified pepe community but once it once is a once a meme is a meme that that's what makes it a meme right it takes legs of its own it spreads around without you even like intending to and then people all sort of jump on board and they start and they start using it right that's that's an interesting origin story (laughs) yeah
3: all
2: from not wanting to do my homework um when the teacher in this video class would play my videos the class loved them because they were stupid and immature kids and my videos were stupid and immature so the class loved them the teacher uh didn't quite like them i think i got a c in that class and there was one video in particular that i made about the school's anime club so i used this this stum edit by some guy on YouTube of this anime song set to Snoop Dogg, uh, Snoop Dogg smoke weed every day. The moment that song started playing and Snoop says smoke weed every day in my video, he turned off the video. Okay, next, like, we're just going to turn this off.
1: Yeah. Did you, uh, what grade did you get in that one?
2: I don't, probably like a D plus.
1: If he passed you, that's great, though. If he actually I did, didn't
2: pass. I did pass. Yeah.
1: Nice. <laughs> That's hilarious. Honestly, like, it sounds like uh, we probably would have hung out in high school. I think we would have had a lot of fun. But um, so video editing. So you didn't go to school. I imagine you had to take the alternative routes when it comes to like job and labor. And like, how did you make income, you know, after high school? Like, what did you end up going into? Say, like, I, I know you, you do gigs now with video editing, right? Like, you make a bit of side income on that. But how long did it take
2: before you say decided to try to do that for money? And what do you do or have you done since? I'm just curious. How long did it take me to decide to do it for money? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years, yeah. Okay. Seven years. I didn't get out of high school and start doing this. It wasn't until the the middle, the tail end of the 2020 era of the pandemic did I decide to attempt to use these skills um, that I've developed, more so the skill of the I for pacing and design and storytelling than like the the technical side of editing i still currently use the same editor that i used in high school which is sony movie studio which used to be called sony vegas which used to be the premiere editor for like cheap kids in high school to make youtube poops (laughs) and because i've had to work with this software because i'm too stubborn to do uh to learn adobe premiere i've had to learn how to think about other ways novel ways of conveying information so conveying story like doing marketing in the video Um, a lot of typography work if you've seen my videos it's a lot of shots of um a colored background with text on the screen getting inspiration from just different directors and how they convey uh information with minimal visuals on the screen sort of the art of video editing and directing instead of like the technical stuff like how great are you at adobe premiere etc et so i've taught myself that i think that's become a it's definitely a part of my trademark like people can tell when it's a paul trailer because i make these trailers for online creators and that's because i have a very distinctive style that's spawned from working with these limitations
1: interesting yeah. Limitations are an interesting way to put it, but it's almost you could even view it as like a, similar to a poetic form. So like when I came on your show, we talked about poetry a bit and then I write poetry. And so there, there are different forms in poetry. And sometimes a poet will choose to stick to that form and to kind of restrict themselves to it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: One could say that could limit creativity. But I think there's a sort of opposite way to look at it, too, is that it forces you to kind of have to. Really think about what you're doing. Yeah, and there's a more there's a more calculating way I think of writing it. You have to count the beats, all of that stuff. As hmm. to say, like a more free form, free verse style of poetry when you can kind of just wing it, you can do it. And I do a lot of that, and I've done both. You know, I count <laughs> syllables, all that stuff. But I think there is a benefit sometimes of kind of just putting these little restrictions on a particular creative thing. Um, but maybe Absolutely. you should consider exploring other types of video editing software and that sort of thing to make yourself uncomfortable like i want to do 3d modeling for example like i have no idea how to use any of that shit but part of me part of me is like man it's really cool i've seen so many cool different art pieces and nfts and stuff made that are digital 3d like pieces of art
2: Mm, yeah yeah yeah.
1: part of me wants to you know experiment with that it makes me want to like do that instead of limiting myself to just uh, the sort of thing that I do already even though I do it well you know.
2: Right it's always good to expand your horizons as an artist and try to see where the next frontier may be when it comes to different tools and yeah there's also still a lot of benefit to be had with uh, limiting yourself either out of stubbornness or out of choice but it's definitely taught me a lot about just like the unseen things behind video marketing, behind just art itself, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Like you said, with poetry and with art. by Poetry and art. Yeah.
1: Video editing, I can't comment as much, but Brent can definitely comment on that a bit because he has his uh because
0: i do all our editing well he does that and, <laughs> and but
1: also before you know before we started dangerous federally brent already had his solo podcast or show on youtube his channel it's Brentley. so he was already kind of messing around and experimenting and learning this mm. sort of work,
2: so yeah you, you which one of you films uh mostly me okay i, I let him
1: handle most of when it. i was on <laughs> i
2: forget if when i was on your show earlier did i mention adam curtis
1: uh I think yes, we talked about Century of the Self and
2: yeah, that's right. Okay, I was, it was when I was on your show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Has yeah, he? Is like... Brent? Brent? Have you seen it? He's seen Century of the Self, I think. Yeah, totally. Okay, so yeah, I figured it'd be up your alley. Plus, I, I yeah. love that style of documentary filmmaking that Curtis does. It's just old archival footage, and then he makes really great use of typography throughout the. I draw a lot of inspiration from him, both as a uh, both like intellectually and also creatively like the ideas that he explores and how he conveys those ideas i, think I love curious. the old
1: footage i definitely know
2: yeah, me too oh my god i love
1: documentaries that use a lot of archival footage if you have it of course depends yeah, what right. you're talking about but yeah i got Brene's right here he's uh
2: oh that's right he's yeah have you read out. it
1: i have i have i've combed through it a few times and underlined shit and Talked yeah. about it on the show a few times, so it's one of those books that I keep like impressing up, upon people in these times in particular. That's the other mm-hmm.
0: one, the Madness of Crowds, is that the other
1: one? The Madness of Crowds? That Isn't that, that was a... that's Douglas Murray. Oh, Douglas
2: Murray, yeah, another, another one. I'm proud. Of the I have. Of it's good. That
1: one's actually I highly recommend it. It's an interesting book. He definitely he dissects the origins well of a lot of the woke. Postmodern
0: oh the crowd is stuff. what I was
1: thinking Man, of about. Yeah, so the crowd. That's thick though. It's annoying. So reading. Le bon and <laughs> LeBon and his theories in that book were basically combined in a sense with Freud's psychoanalytical theories. And that was the I guess you could say the two main kind of influences were Bernays spawned his uh, mm. approach and theories to propaganda. So he was looking mm. at crowd psychology, like what laban wrote in the book the crowd and then he was looking at you know what his um his uncle right i said grandfather his uncle
0: yeah i think it's uncle should i figure What's out when i guess it was written in the mid 20th century uh
2: i think so yeah i don't see an actual like it, the prop- it,
0: it's an old book the crowd
2: propaganda book yeah it was from the no Thank
3: propaganda
1: he's no, talking about
2: the crowd i was looking at this other one because i uh
1: gustav laban Le let's look it up on wikipedia to tell you the year it was written
0: yeah, I don't know. I'm just yours.
1: You're being a bad Jamie right now.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, i uh,
1: Had a little drink. Come on, Jamie. I'm a little Jamie. You want it
0: on the drink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look this up, Jamie. Look this up.
0: 1895. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, like, little, oh, little. very late yeah. 19th century.
1: Yeah, it's been out for a
3: while. Yeah, it's old
2: fun. books, man. You read an old book and you draw these parallels to modern day society and you're like, am I reading too far into this or is this actually very much alike what's happening today? Oh, yeah, it's like
0: humanity hasn't actually changed that
1: much. Well, and there were people in the past who are quite perceptive sometimes about oh, absolutely. where we're heading or could be heading. And and obviously they looked at the past too and they drew what, 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 what? their conclusions or predictions about where we would head based on some of the patterns we see in the past. And, you know, we, we talked about this on your show too, uh, last time, you know, how history doesn't repeat necessarily, but it does rhyme and you can kind of, you know, analyze where you are and analyze the past and find certain parallels there and use that to predict where you could be heading.
2: I've been reading the Gulag archipelago. I saw,
1: I saw, I was going to ask you about it actually
2: yeah man <laughs> uh, i'm on volume three i'm on a uh, page 436 of volume. she's deep into it Been breathing <laughs> yeah i'm almost finished with it um if i were to draw any parallel today with what was going on back then in stalin's russia one of them would be this painting of certain citizens and i know you already know where i'm going with this in a in a harsh light in and in a negative light and that is back then it was the kulaks the competent farmers who under Stalin's uh, version of communism were considered class enemies because look how competent they are oh you have a bigger house bye adios i think think about stalin and then it's like oh you you, everybody needs to hate the kulaks hate the kulaks hate the kulaks and then on twitter today you've got this guy in a nice comfortable house saying we need literally need to call out the unvaccinated and get in their face and talk about how afraid they are and and abolish their rights to health care and blah 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 they're a different class of citizens they got to go yeah. And it's
3: kind of the same it's thing. It's creepy. I know
2: it's not quite the same thing, but it's it, like the I, I think I think close, so we know it doesn't repeat the ideas, uh-huh. like the ideas of like, hey, this this citizen, this group of people, yo, know, they're bad, even though right. they're completely innocent.
1: It's the othering. And yeah, you no, know, and in Rory Miller's books, he talks about this. And Rory Miller's a, a guy who writes about martial arts and particularly violence, but in order for violence to take place, that is one of the most necessary, like it's necessary. You have to be able to sort of psychologically other the person. And I mean this even in a personal way, if you are in a violent or dangerous situation and someone's trying to hurt you, you have to be able to almost do this on the fly and to know your limits, like what am I able or capable of doing in the situation? So no matter what, you end up othering the person to fight back. Think about how that happens politically. It's like, it's much easier to commit violence against people when you start to stop when you stop seeing them as the same as you. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're they're people, yes, but they're like those people. They're other. And,
2: it's also ridiculous because yeah. I think one, one of my best friends, him and I are such great friends. He has chosen not to get vaccinated for his own reasons. Who is this random guy or the powers that be to tell me that I should not be friends with my my best friend? simply for making a decision. It's just like his own decision. So when you talk about the unvaccinated, it's like, we're just talking about this amorphous blob of faceless people. We, we don't think about our hypothetical best friend who we might have, who I definitely have. I do have a real best friend who is not, not choosing to get the vaccine. It's like, no, I'm still going to be friends with this guy. It's like just common sense. Like, get off, get off my lawn. But he away. might get you sick, Paul. Think- well, luckily, he lives in Texas where all the other idiots live. Oh, apparently. No idiots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. They hate Texas and the media and Florida. We're like, Florida's like, everyone's dropping dead here falling yeah. out of yeah, the car
0: because the cases the case numbers were going down like they were going like while it was all like the peak of the you know the the post it's like the end of the summer there's always like a peak in respiratory viruses mm-hmm. yeah so while that was happening it was bad in florida just like it was everywhere else oh my god who would have thought and that? they started you know pushing that whole death santas thing and trying to make it like <clears throat> Florida is bad whatever meanwhile it's like the same number of cases in like oregon and like more in california but don't worry about about that that's not important don't pay attention to that um and then as soon as it started to go down just like yeah. seasonally they go down around this time as everybody starts to you know the weather patterns change whatever it just quietly just you know disappears from the headlines doesn't get talked about anymore now nobody's talking about florida
2: have either of you experienced anything frustrating or annoying in your daily lives from this decision so far um not, choosing not to be vaccinated live okay. well, no, yeah. i mean i'm having like some crazy
0: <laughs> landlord drama because really? yeah well my landlord owns like you know dozens of buildings in new york city they're kind of like slum lordy they're like mm-hmm. kind of not they're not really nice the buildings people. falling apart uh the building well it's been it's been old and like generally like when there's problems they do fix them
1: mm-hmm.
3: but
0: it's just yeah. it's like the neighborhood's gone downhill <laughs> and ever since you know i was trying to communicate with them the whole time and they would just not respond and you know we'd have a couple of back and forths and then they'd not respond and now we're, we're in another not responding period yeah. uh where i i made them an offer you know that i would that i would just totally you know like leave the apartment and give it back to them uh as long as they sort of agreed not to uh, get into not to pursue me for the difference in what i owe them was we did get a bailout from the city for some, some missing some missing months rent rather substantial bailout, i must say um but yeah they, they took the money. They sent me the paperwork that said that they wouldn't be able to evict me for a year or whatever. And, you know, I was like, look, we'll leave. We'll go like, I'll, I'll but we'll go. Uh, but, you know, I, just, uh, I want some, you know, some sort of guarantee that they're not going to cause problems later, but we'll see. They never responded. That was like six weeks ago was the last time I had communication with them. Does they know they can't get COVID through a text message? I, <laughs> you know, I don't know if they know that, or if they're too busy, you know, like they have, they have so many people that work for them. It shocks me that somebody can't pick up a phone and give me a call.
1: They are probably told not to. to
0: That's possible. They, yeah. may, <laughs> they may they may, be doing this deliberately. Me. I don't know. Yeah. The,
1: no. the rent situation is crazy, but you know, as, as far as like mandates and like inconvenience to our lives, we've been just, we avoided doing things in New York and we were avoiding that already. And, I mean, we went out and did a few things, but
0: I mean, we've driven back and forth up the east coast. We've been back and forth five times. Like
1: we, we definitely haven't tried since the mandates. At least we haven't tried to eat at a restaurant, so we're not sure. And I know some are asking, some are not, some Hmm. are complying, some are not. It's uh, apparently really uh, unclear. Yeah. how that the happens. rules are being enforced and who's supposed to enforce them and how this is supposed to go on i have no idea no
0: problems going out to dinner here in florida yeah. though i tell you that. Mm, i okay.
1: had to i had to cancel one concert or i couldn't go i couldn't even resell my ticket i didn't have time no one bought it back from me which is also interesting because it kind of shows the concert didn't sell out so that says something too about mandates right
2: i'm hearing yeah i saw your tweet brent earlier that new york comic-con did not sell out for the first time I in think- history <laughs> Isn't yeah, that crazy? It's very... And then the people would say, oh, well, who cares about the economy? It's fucking capitalism. That shit sucks. Keep everybody healthy. It's There's just another sign. Yeah.
1: Two reasons for it, too. Less people in the city and people who are in the city who didn't get the shot, who just simply can't
0: go. Yeah, Well, they're they're excluding yeah. anybody who has not been vaccinated. The thing with Comic-Con is it's not just New York City people that come. Like People come from all over the world. To get oh, to- my God.
2: I know. I've been to San Diego Comic-Con like nine times, actually. I love it people fly all over the world to go. Yeah. It's culture, man. It's a cultural glue. See, like people think these things are useless. Oh, it's just comic-con who cares. But I think the effect that a thing like comic-con has on the people at large is just this, this joy, this shared connection. And that makes people happy, man. And then the society thrives from these cultural gatherings and we need that. And you take that away from people or you rob them of that opportunity, man, things are going to get sour real fast
1: yeah concerts too concerts
2: time, yeah yeah
1: sorts of things and and yeah and they they forced it to become like a, like a choice almost like you you yeah. segregate people and and now look you know you got Joe Rogan playing Madison Square Garden um there's a lot of controversy that j- developed over it and I agree with a lot of the criticisms personally I think someone like Joe Rogan with his stated positions about the mandates and also just with his influence culturally probably should have taken a stand and canceled his show there and said, Mm. you know, look, I'm allowed to play without getting the shot and to perform here. But I refuse to play at a place that's going to force only my, like it's going to force people to get the shot to see me or is going to ostracize or segregate fans of mine who may want to see me who chose not to get the shot. Mm. And it's like, I understand why this isn't happening happening en masse, especially when you look at the economic hit that everyone has taken from the lockdowns, right?
3: Right. So yeah, they're
1: going to be like, whatever we comply, we got to get back on the road. We got to do our thing. We got to make money. I get that. But by doing that, no message, like what kind of message is that sending, right? Like I said, I posted a tweet about this the other day, but I would actually be really pleased if all of my favorite bands, they won't do this, decided to just cancel their tours or to cancel all shows at any venue that enforces a vax mandate in whatever states that do that. Sounds harsh. Sure, it'll deprive people who have the shot from being able to see the show. But if I were a band, that's, that's what I would do. I would cancel those shows. I would say, hey, I'm sorry to my fans who got the shot. They wanted to see us. But I don't think it's right that we have all these other fans who want to see us and are now being prevented from seeing us.
2: Well, it it seems like we're too afraid of being painted as anti-vax yes. rather than coming out as anti-mandate. Yes, I'm not anti-vax. I know you two aren't. I'm anti-mandate. It just seems very oh, I'm crazy not to me.
1: anti-vax. Brent's kind of anti-vax. I'm sort of on the fence. Like I know- okay, my, my I, bad. I, sure. I, like, <laughs> I leave room. Just being honest.
2: I oh, leave- sure, sure. No, no, no. no that's, that's okay. I leave room that there correct are
1: me. Perhaps particular situations in which. A shot could help someone immunity. Sure, I don't know, but I'm definitely yeah. someone who will always lean more towards any natural ways you can try to build your immune system up. That's what you should be doing always, first and foremost. Period, like full stop. Before you turn to any drug or medication or shot event from Big Pharma, like I think that should always be like a last resort, resort a secondary option when it comes to our health the first thing we should always consider is what we're eating right and then how active we are and things like that and if you're going to make other health decisions like if you're going to smoke and you're going to do things like that you do it at your own risk right and you allow right, you've
2: lost all credibility on youtube but oh these fucking smoking a cigarette don't care Actually,
0: smoking kind of reduces the number of ACE2 receptors that are expressed on the cells of your lung tissue, which is why smokers, and this is something they don't talk about at all, smokers seem to be showing up in the sick and severely affected population at a much lower rate than what they would expect if smoking actually compounded the problem. But what they found is in, in the literature is that you know, we know the Coal 2 virus uses the ACE2 receptors to enter. And we know nicotine exposure over periods of time downregulates your ACE2 receptors on the cells of your surface. So it kind of makes sense that downwriting downregulating the number of ACE2 receptors that you have would make it less severe version of COVID if you get exposed. Well, think about it
1: this way. If there was a connection between smoking and saying a, a, a clear connection between that and an increased risk of dying from this virus, yeah, they would have heard about it you know. and, and everywhere. <laughs> and they did look for one. I remember there was like an early article I read about this, like the beginning of the lockdowns, maybe where they were trying to draw a connection between it. But as far as I know, I had never seen anything since that one one article because i think just there was no data
0: no the early propaganda was yeah. mentioning that smoking increased your risk for it but yeah. then that was bore out very quickly because no in china they smoke a lot mm-hmm. like something like 50 percent of all the men there are regular heavy smokers um and they found that it was it was odd because the percentage of smokers in their severely affected pool was like something like 30 to 40 percent it was lower than the population uh than what was apparent in the population of smokers so it was it was bizarre it was the opposite they looked for it and they found the opposite result than what they expected yeah as so often happens in science
1: well the science too around smoking in particular I think there's more unclear things about it than people are willing to acknowledge. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get in the weeds. And yeah, started. I know. But it's just like, you know, things like that, like the the oldest woman on record, for example. Know, I'm trying to remember her freaking name right now, but like, it's not. 30.
2: Company. She's 30 years old. That's how long I think, think
1: she's bad kids. I think she was 120, if I'm not mistaken. But you could Google like so oldest. Good look up oldest women on record and by on record that's very specific they they mean they could uh confirm her age by on record holy
2: shit
1: there could have been older people than her older women but they're like their ages weren't confirmed you get what i mean i think there were contested older people but she's the oldest one on record um yeah she smoked 96 years out of her 120 years of life
2: holy shit apparently
1: she like ate like a like a pound of chocolate or some shit every week or something and she drank like a glass of wine a day or some shit like that so it goes to show that i think genetically bodies are different and i think some people can tolerate smoking and things like that and still live to a very old age and then there are some people who get lung cancer and all types of stuff like that and never smoked a single cigarette in their life
2: so yeah genetically bodies are different which is why i don't my naive standing on this as far as the vaccine mandate goes is like, how could you mandate something that gets put into people's bodies when all bodies are just built differently?
0: Yeah. I don't get it. There's a lot of people that have been told specifically by their doctor, myself included, not to get it because we have other complications or compounding history that makes it contraindicated in our case. Like I have a celiac disease, I have an inflammatory bowel condition that's aggravated by certain dietary exposures, mostly dairy yeah. and gluten. So in my case, it's not. I'm not like a candidate for the shot um and you know even if i was i probably wouldn't get it but that's not even taken into consideration when it comes to these mandates and and the vax ports and all that jazz like there yeah. there's no there's no wiggle room and even a lot of people are asking for religious and medical exemptions aren't getting them granted they're like they're denied. getting shut down in yeah. these like weird little kangaroo courts we were talking to uh, raquel we had her on like two shows ago and she had a uh a an exception hearing and i was like who are these people like why do you have to go to hearing a council yeah Yeah, right right unidentified bureaucrats to approve
1: your constitutional rights like that doesn't make
0: any sense to me like it should just be as simple as saying no thank you i don't want it and that's it Mm -hmm. and there should be no there should be no it's not something you should be able to get fired for and
2: yet here we are i agree completely yeah i'm not i've never been anti-pfizer or whatever i'm just very wary of this mandate yeah. idea i'm not sure it's well, because
0: if they mandate you know the vaccines today what comes tomorrow you know and it's it's right it's always a, a, a slippery slope with these people you know it's like we're still waiting for them to repeal the patriot act that was passed you know, be, to deal with the consequences of 9-11 and it's still on the books so give, like
1: give an inch they take a mile you know when it when it comes to and then they keep pushing liberties right that we're supposed to have in a place like this that's what it's been it's been something that's just eroded over time and the more people give the more they comply the more they just say well okay and it's always it's always like touted as temporary you know the powers that be they always say oh this is just temporary you know it's an emergency like brent said he brought up the patriot act and those sorts of things those were also initially i think touted as like emergency powers and then here then they became signed into law you know after 9-11 they keep getting renewed they keep getting renewed signed in again and again so clearly, I they, I don't think they intend to stop these people who are pushing us from on high. And then there's all the normal everyday people whose minds are just so sucked into the narrative and into the propaganda that, yeah, they will actively resist us and and fight us for wanting to fight back for ourselves and our own rights to, like, interact in our right. own
2: home. You know? Othering, yeah, with in innocent, innocent people, yeah. And, and innocent, they'll say, right? oh, this is oh, nice
1: a university you have to get a shot for this or that or you have to get a shot to do that and they use all these like examples as if it's the same thing as ever needing to get a specific medical intervention in which you have to show proof of to enter a concert venue to enter a a restaurant to enter a gym which is supposed to help your health it's just that's never happened that is unprecedented so it's like How do you get through to some of these people? I don't know. Some of them, maybe
2: we can, but I just, I gave up. Yeah, you just don't, don't try. It's like you're talking to a robot. You're talking to an, which my favorite term, NPC. NPC. You're just talking to an NPC. Yeah. That's it. No, you don't. The whole, yeah, gyms being closed was a stupid idea. So if we're going to mandate anything, we got to mandate exercise. I want so, uh, yeah. a dumbbell in every house.
3: Yeah. If it really
2: had to do with health, if it had to do anything <laughs> at all with health, we would have been talking about, like, where's the president's fitness channel? Where's, like, Joe Biden's <laughs> yeah, workout yeah, yeah, with me exactly. fitness channel? Where is that? Know,
0: so snap I, right off, man. It's, can
2: you imagine they got Joe Biden doing squats,
1: like, yeah. once a
2: day? It's like, let's little do it. cute little
1: old people exercises. Yeah, let's get the, the, you know, the Joe Biden live workout channel. You know, he can just stream it. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It'd take him an hour long to do like one squat. <laughs> take like yeah. That sounds That's like tough. a
0: cartoon waiting to happen. You hear all the cracking on the way down too. Like.
2: No man, yeah. It's like push-ups are free. It's really easy to keep yourself in shape, in good oh, shape. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, but yeah. But the idea that like anything can be like turned it's it's this like easy idea that, oh well, if you're sick, here's a, here's a shot, here's a quick solution, just take this working out eating right it, it takes work at first okay. but eventually you get used to it and you still kind of enjoy the challenge yeah it's always, always going to be gonna work be yeah yeah you're right it's always going to be work but you get used to it with a shot it's like oh you know get the job you know done you have right. to make an
1: effort that's the difference so yeah, you don't, the other you do and there are unfortunately a lot of people in this world and in this country who don't want to make any
2: effort when it comes the to the stupidest bribe. fucking thing was the bribes Come get the vaccine, and we'll give you Dunkin' Donuts and burgers. <laughs> yeah, like,
3: but, we're uh, gonna give
2: people heart attacks. Like, yeah. shouldn't
1: it have been obvious too. You know, by then it's like, dude, like, why are they? Why are they so desperate to get this into everyone? Yeah. yeah. It's-
0: that was a big red flag for me. It's so had Bill de Blasio eating like burgers and fries. Oh yeah, my
2: God. This, oh, the world already makes fun of us for being the fattest fucking country alive and like, oh, hey, look at this stupid Americans getting donuts for the vaccines. Jesus Christ.
1: That's why our numbers were higher when it came to, to COVID deaths because we have our obesity, man. We, we deal
2: with more health. You mean people. it wasn't Trump's America that caused 700,000 <laughs> I mean, deaths? Trump's it was a Trump America. failure. New York Times and PBR. PBR. NPR, it was Trump's America. And I'm no Trump guy, but it's like, that's all you heard was Trump's failure. They still want Trump. dead. No, it's like every other fucking president who did not talk about public health and like fucking working out and eating right for like 30 years. It's yeah, like, right. Nobody
0: cares. Like the, the America's health problem did not just suddenly appear in 2016. Trump, yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: They that's can't exactly let him right.
0: go. They can't let him
1: go. They no. just can't. It's just, He's just a like... great boogeyman. <laughs>
2: They're they still walking around, causing trouble. they still of walking
1: office. around in all their heads. It's <laughs> all- <laughs> I feel so bad. I feel bad for those people. I'm like, they're just don't, waiting. Don't waste your sympathy. They're waiting for him to like pop back up and like the book, you know, create man. the alt right authority.
2: Well, now you're seeing these articles about how like conservatives are making Biden an enemy. It's like you guys did the same fucking thing about Trump and anybody else who's on the Republican Party. We just we make enemies no matter what. That's what we do. Yeah, that's
0: well, yeah, the that's the left though. The left is like the party of do what we say, not what we do. That you know they can like they'll totally. You know, do completely hypocritical behaviors. Yeah,
1: conservatives can be that way too. When you look at the power yeah. too,
0: and you think about some of the
1: things that they do behind closed doors. Right. That's right. Oh well, we're Christian and we're great people. And
2: yeah, Christians have always, Christians have a clean record? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, should we pivot? Should we pivot to
2: aliens? Aliens. Oh yeah, we could change it to aliens. Yeah, Cue the X. else conservatives don't like? So we, I mean, we don't know
1: how into the subject you are or how much you're familiar yeah with why it. don't you it's, tell
2: us where yeah. how
0: how much you how well, what have you done what do you know because oh, okay so I, let's I go been, back to sixth grade oh, wow. again
1: yeah sixth grade yeah Back when i was supposed to take be doing homework.
0: take me
2: back okay so before back. youtube video before youtube there was this thing called google video whoa and on google video i used to look up like i don't know how but i stumbled upon UFO videos and like NASA footage of UFOs. The the classic, like NASA footage of UFO on the moon. And it's this weird white orb orbiting the moon, like going across the moon and like this weird tether thing breaking off and all these other white orbs spawning off of it. Right. Yeah. I used to watch those all the time in fifth grade, sixth grade. I didn't, I didn't know what to think of it. They were just fascinating to me. And I was at the time I was really into astronomy too. I had a telescope my stepdad used to take me out and we'd look at the sto- the s- skies at night and so i was always fascinated by space back then as many kids are when they're young like that they look at space and dinosaurs and all that and then internet made me a conspiracy theorist about aliens i'm like oh cool you know ufos what's out there and so um i've never read any books on ufos like i see in the background there but i've spent a lot of time looking at ufo footage i do believe aliens exist a little skeptical about whether or not ufos have been here on earth there's there's a lot of bullshit to sift through on the rabbit holes these days
1: (laughs) so you know honestly like despite how interesting all of the footage and photos and those sorts of things are in this day and age in particular it's just it's very hard to ever rely on that sort of evidence just because of how good you know, our technology is now with computer graphics and that, and that sort of thing. And there are a shitload of fake ass videos out there, but there are definitely some real ones, some anomalous ones. And if you, you know, there's a few you can trace back to the people who post them and that sort of thing. And and they're real videos. So it's not like they're not out there, but to really grapple with the topic, you do have to study the literature. You kind of have to look at not just like the weirder stuff, like comparative religion and symbols and like, Are they ancient? You know, have they been here a long time? That stuff. But like the more modern stuff, the the government documents, for example, that go back to the 1940s, 50s, 60s, um, and and how our government in particular, but also Russia and other governments were dealing with the phenomenon. So when you say whether or not UFOs were here or or not, you're not sure if they were. If you read that literature and you saw and read with those people seen and what they testified to and described, and I'm talking about like, Air Force pilots with like thousands and thousands. Of yeah, hours.
2: David, David Frazier.
1: Yes. Yeah, I've uh, seen all that. Yeah, yeah. So I believe much, him. So much flight experience where it's just like, wow, you've spent like a, you spent a large chunk of your life in the sky. So yes. if anyone is going to know what should be up there and should not be up there normally, it's probably someone like that, you know, mm-hmm. and there's many, many, many pilots and, and other personnel and stuff on record and documents, plenty of them. So a couple of yeah. them brought out. Two of them we recommend are Richard Dolan's books. So this is UFOS, his first two, uh, UFOS in the National Security State, Volume One and and Volume Two. And these specifically focus on all the stuff I just talked about, uh, the government documents in particular, very historical works. So they they focus on that stuff, and they really deal with the period of like the 1940s to I, I think like the 90s or the early. 2000s even he was supposed to do a third volume
0: uh i believe he did i don't, but, I don't know what happened with but that. anyway these cover the period from like 42 to 73 i think okay mm-hmm. it's the 70s and yeah. they are very fact-based they he cites primary documents witnesses um he doesn't do. He does this very minimal or no speculation whatsoever. It's reported mostly. Mm. It's yeah. It's a lot of like you know names, places, dates, and here's what was reported yeah. to have happened, and here's the number of people that have uh, you know had the same story or whatever. And it just goes through. It goes and it moves forward through time chronologically. And, yeah, and it talks organized. about all these different major sightings, and then also the government's response to them. So whenever the government forms a committee or has a special thing or, you know, pulls J. Allen Hynek in or when they get to Project Blue Book and stuff, he he talks about that. And he talks about the people behind it, how they were all connected, uh, how the military was involved. And again, it's all very, it's dry. It's like very dry history but it gives, it's a very good primer to the subject of UFOs. And once you're done reading them, you realize that UFOs do exist. All We're right. not sure. We don't know what they are, but right. they do exist and this is you know, like there is a very interesting sort of hidden history surrounding them that's very recent you know yeah. just going back the last 75 years i not
2: almost a, don't want to know what they are because when we know what they are it's not going to be interesting anymore it yeah,
0: probably will never totally <laughs> or have, it'll be yeah. even more interesting but,
2: yeah that's true that's You'll not,
1: not only walk away convinced from books like that especially that the phenomenons real you'll you'll also walk away convinced that there is some form of consciousness or intelligence behind it behind it directing the objects and there's a natural there, there are a phenomenon. few reasons I say that and one of the reasons is that the, so there are a lot of examples of this in the book but when pilots are deployed to intercept these objects and the objects respond to them intelligently yeah. and yeah. In evasive manners you know yeah doing maneuvers that like defy
2: what- oh yeah like going from like what is like david Frazier thing yeah. like zero to 100 from the ocean up yeah it's dude, freaky
1: shit that like defies our understanding of physics like yeah. Yeah. again these are experts these are people who like fly planes for
2: freaky. so
1: yes. yeah dude you walk away from the book and you really kind of those two and you'll you'll definitely grasp like all right the phenomenon's real there's intelligence behind it and then the third thing that'll sink into you is that The government is interested in the phenomenon. Yeah, has been for quite quite a long time, you know. And that's an important thing to kind of have sink in because the way I always looked at this subject is okay. Well, if the government and these people in power who run our most powerful institutions in the world are interested in this phenomenon, well, I'm interested in it. I I want to know why. Like, why why are they so fascinated by it? You know, what do they get out of it?
0: And there's another book that we we didn't pull out, but. It's uh, the author's Charles Fort, and he I has am. this whole collection. He called it the Book of the Damned. and it's the reason- all his books. Well, the, I have one oh, yeah, of his books. books. It's yeah. the Book, Book of the, of the, the Damned. Damned. Yeah, yeah. And the Book of the Damned is a collection of what he called the Damned data. And mm. were bizarre accounts of strange happenings that he and his wife had meticulously collected all over the years. I think he was pretty much like the early, he was very, he was alive sort of the, again, at the end of the 19th, early 20th century. 1800s. And uh, he put together all these very strange, weird, occurrences like one time like fish rain out of the sky or like you know rained blood or like all these weird things that he, he and he would uh, you know find a date and time in the source and put it together in this book of the damned so and, and then he, he kind of suggests that there's something more to the phenomenon uh than it being like like three-dimensional life forms uh from another planet in the galaxy or whatever mm. like there's like there's some sort of uh weird interdimensional thing happening because a lot a lot of times around these events the normal rules of physics seem to not apply. There's like a distortion oh. of the time, uh like some there's a, a weird change in position. Like there's been a lot of weird reports of people like shifting like hundreds of miles after they have a weird experience. Uh, and a lot of it can also be like there's a whole other series of books called missing 411 which talk about people that go yeah. missing in very strange and bizarre ways and they have a lot there's a lot of overlap between the alien abduction phenomenon which is another aspect of the ufo thing um but there's and- also
1: a, like its own sort of study too in a way and there are you know people experts who study that in particular for example not just mm. UFOs. they specifically focus on the abduction phenomenon
2: Yes. Have either of you seen a UFO? I've uh,
1: seen one weird thing.
2: We yeah um, weird thing in the sky yeah.
1: And I don't. I mean, I don't think it was a satellite. And if it was, it was really high. But <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it was a UFO. To be honest, I don't. I've never seen anything that was specifically very obvious to me. Like, okay, yeah. that is. I don't know what the hell that is.
0: So there was this one time when I was in, i was my freshman year of college and I was hanging outside my house with my best friend at the time and we had smoked a little of the greenery mm. and we were just sort of like chilling, like laying on my own driveway, like just look, looking at the sky talking and we saw this triangular shaped craft and it was hard to really get a good sighting of it because the sky was kind of dark and the, whatever it was was dark, but it had three lights at the triangle points. And it seemed like there was like a weird sort of like reddish uh, circular thing in the middle. So, and we noticed cause it, it started like coming over and then it like stopped right above us. And we were looking like, that's not a plane. <laughs> It's <laughs> so bad that I looked at each other like what the are we are we really seeing that like are we just high right now what's going on <laughs> and then you know we looked at each other and we looked back up and it was gone and it was it was just real quick like that yeah. but I remember distinctly it had the three little triangle lights and then this little like reddish circular area between them and it seemed to have the shape of a triangle Have you seen
3: anything?
2: I have seen something um I don't know what it was. I, I'm always looking up at the sky at night, looking to see if I'll see a UFO. I've i always been like that since I was young. Man, so that's you something I tell a lot of people. So I'm just you won't see anything up.
0: if you aren't looking.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've always been uh, looking up at the night sky just to see if I'll catch a UFO, ever since I was a kid, really. Hmm. Uh, a couple years ago, here in this very room, I was trying to sleep one night having trouble with sleeping it's like midnight can't fall asleep go downstairs get a glass of water for whatever reason i decide to go outside in the front here and get some fresh air uh, i'm standing standing over by my car uh, and i lean against my car kind of look up at the sky facing um it's not going to help people who are listening to the audio i'm facing <laughs> out of the sky and i'm it's a visual thinker I th- i'm italian i think with my hands i'm listening <laughs> out here and a white um, circle of light initially i think it's a helicopter or an airplane of course comes up over the horizon drifts up forward forward still going up still going up still going up then it stops above me not directly above me it looks quite far away still and um, it's got it's a little bit brighter than the other objects in the sky the stars and other planes and whatnot and i thought oh God, that's strange it was moving up in the sky and then it stopped there and my tinfoil hat brain immediately thought oh i don't know what it is therefore it's a ufo
1: well it <laughs> is technically yeah i didn't
2: i couldn't i could not identify it and anything in the everybody. sky unidentifiable is a ufo so i'm like oh bingo it's a ufo looking at this thing i decided to go back inside um up to my room and i opened up my window with the blinds out and it's still like it's like 12:30 midnight 1 a.m. and that thing just floats there. And I hate telling the story because it makes me sound like a crazy person and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a crazy person. This is why I don't tell it though cuz that removes all credibility from me because what happens next is I'm looking at this thing outside of my window and then it suddenly starts to kind of wiggle in place. It, it moves down a little bit in the sky and then it moves back to its original position and then it moves to the left or the right, I suppose, and moves back to its original position. And then it moves down again. It kind of, it's shifting its position and I can see it moving and shifting its position. I thought, huh, that's really odd. I don't, I don't know what to make of this. And I'm, I'm just watching that thing, it's not going away. And like an hour passes and it's still doing the same thing. It's doing the same thing. And I thought, that's so strange. And then I'm there for like three hours, just looking out my window, watching wow. this thing move in position. And then I thought, okay, I'm really tired now. It's four in the morning. It's been doing the same thing for hours. I'm just going to go to bed. You should have got a picture. I, I took yeah. shitty cell phone footage with my old smartphone. I still have it. It's on my hard drive somewhere. It doesn't show the movement. It, it just It's not even worth looking at, I think. There, but, those,
0: yeah. That quality of video is hard yeah. to see anything at night. So
2: exactly. Like it would have looked yeah. stupid and fake, but... Um, Coincidentally, this actually took place a day after my birthday, which is coming up. So on October sixteenth, to celebrate the like third anniversary of seeing this thing, I'm going to see if I can't see it again. And I've always <laughs> looked up at that direction in the sky to see if I could see it again, and it's uh, it's never come back. um Yeah, that's my UFO story.
1: So one of the things you mentioned, which I wanted to address, was you you talked about being hesitant to tell the story and feeling like people are going to dismiss you as a crazy person and this and that. And it's an interesting aspect of this topic and not just like being an experiencer of it, but just being someone who's interested in it at all. That some people are really like, whoa, that's that's interesting. And they find it immediately fascinating that you're fascinated by it or that you've had an experience. Other people immediately will just kind of dismiss you. And I think part of it is like, in our media in our culture we have this stereotype of the the UFO person or the someone who sees or experiences something like this is nuts is kooky is paranoid is crazy are you trying to put more X files on brand I can
0: only play like five <laughs> <times this> <laughs>
1: So it's it's one of the reasons yeah, yeah. that this subject is hard to discuss seriously in an right. intellectual or academic sense. And it's also why a lot of academicians and and scholars and professors and people like that don't touch this topic. Scientists especially Yeah, it's
2: like intellectually taboo. T-
1: yes. Right. Scientists especially a lot of them who are probably even interested in, it, I imagine a lot of them are in private, just publicly yeah. don't touch the topic they stay away the,
2: the only one I can think of was Carl Jung Carl Jung wrote a book about the psychological um analytical psychological explanations of UFOs I have not read it but his main I'm takeaway was it. that what's up
1: I'm aware of it I've, I've heard okay yeah. yeah yeah I, yeah he's he kind of reduced it all to just psychological phenomenon though
2: he reduced part it, part it to yeah he reduced it to um People looking for a new meaning in their lives, looking up, looking up at the sky, and the sky is representative of potential and a place of new meaning, and that people would see it out there. But that's the only example I can give of a um, intellectual giving any credence to the idea of UFOs. So and he was, he was like a, almost like a cultist. I mean, if you're yeah. familiar with Young, you know, yeah, it's you don't something think he would talk about. Young would talk about that, and I think yeah.
1: you know maybe there's definitely a psychological aspect to it, but I don't think it's that. The phenomenon itself is manifesting from our mind i think it's more that the phenomenon itself and whatever's behind it can kind of control how it manifests to our mind but hmm. that's a sort of different subject um but hmm. i wanted to and to lead into that actually i will lead into that subject i want to address you know what something brent mentioned he was talking about charles fort and the interdimensional hypothesis is what i will the call it and the high
0: strangeness and,
1: yes the high strangeness and but the fact that with this phenomenon too there isn't even an agreement amongst those who study it about what theory is the more likely theory to what the phenomenon is for example so mm-hmm. et meaning extraterrestrial is only one hypothesis And we have to remember that because when we think UFOs, we think, oh, ET. And it's like, no, that's one hypothesis that Mm. beings are extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial means not from this place, from somewhere else, not from this planet. What if it's not that? It could not be that. What if the phenomenon is something that is actually kind of local to this zone in a way, but they operate on maybe a different plane, a different dimension yeah we like we can't perceive but, them we don't we perceive them much like a, a bug doesn't know you're there until like you put your hand down and then it then it interacts with the hand but it doesn't right.
2: well, we know different dimensions exist this is sure. just you no know, yeah
1: so i you know it could be something like that where it's not that they're extraterrestrial meaning they came here from another place yeah. and
2: then showed up extra I mean, dimensional
1: it could also be that they've like always been here and they're kind of made to yeah. the space maybe they own this place the so
2: universe is so mysterious oh, i, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility it's like who yeah. are we to assume we know everything there is about existence itself we barely even know anything about what's inside our own heads, yeah, our brains. Understand
1: like, ourselves, yeah.
2: Yeah, so. so it's like we're so arrogant, assuming that us pithy humans understand just because we made these advance. I mean, we've made advances in physics and science. Don't get me wrong, but I still think. I mean, I'm no scientist. It's like we haven't made a dent, really. We we made well, we've made a dent, but we like we haven't made it. it. Yeah. yeah, we haven't really gotten to the core of things still.
1: There's still so much, yeah, that is unknown and mysterious. Yeah,
2: and that's that. That's 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 almost reassuring, and like, there's a hopefulness to it. It's like that's so mysterious, and and like, we're humans and we love adventure. It's like, cool. There's still so much to explore. Why should we assume that, like, oh, we've figured everything out? What's the fun in that? Definitely be boring. Yeah. The interdimensional thing's
1: interesting because the thing with the phenomenon and one of the theories that I think is the more likely theory is that so they have been here this whole time but touching on what you said about jung and the psychological manifestations of things like aliens and beings i think that ties into comparative religion itself as a whole you know so for example think about someone in medieval times if they were to see some form of thing like that a ufo some being right that interacted with them they're going to see it through their cultural lens the belief system by which uh. they subscribe in the world and perhaps the beings themselves are also even choosing to appear that's another aspect of it in a way that fits into their cultural. Uh. So they would see an angel or a demon, right? Or mm. if you went to some other country, maybe in like South America, they would see something to their folklore. Or if you went mm. to Scotland or Ireland, you see like the fairy folk or the gnomes or something. And there are similarities between these myths and folklore and the current modern day UFO abduction phenomenon.
2: We'll never see the UFOs that like ancient people saw ever.
1: Well, maybe we, will. maybe we will, maybe we won't, but maybe what I mean is I guess part of the reason why we see them as like big-eyed aliens and we think of them as something that's like from the stars and from a far away place is we've entered the space age. We've we've launched ourselves to the moon. We've yeah. launched a probe. We, we,
2: we know what a spaceship looks like. We yeah. project that uh, imago of exactly. spaceship in extraterrestrial like UFO exactly. onto the idea of UFO, whereas with people ancient times, they would project their conception of, I mean, God, like flying to the ancient peoples was like a bird, like a, a yeah. bird could fly, but they didn't know what a flying machine could be. There, there were no like machines, electricity did not exist. It's like, what what's a flying machine to somebody who lived in the 1200s? The best you can think of is like a bird or like an angel or a there, hawk.
3: There were
1: flying machine cases in the early 1800s and stuff before um, the Wright brothers and all that stuff yeah they saw a lot
0: of they would call them airships Airships, it was like an interesting flap around the post-civil war era where they were spotting these like they look like blimps basically but they were all described as similarly to a lot of modern day ufos like there's this very classical cigar shape uh like long cylinder style ufo yeah um and that was seen a lot in this at the same time as they were seeing these these big blimps, these big airships, and they could never track down who owned them, where they came wow. from, why they were being launched. So it's just very interesting at a time when that kind of technology became more mainstream and more ma- more aware, like that's what they started to see. And then shortly after, you know, we had the, the, the big flap occurred in the, the late 30s and the, the 1940s, World War II actually had a huge flap of UFOs.
2: all um, big battle all of over Los Europe. The, the big wow. flap? This is no, a new flap. They call it so, so yeah. F
0: L A P flap
2: is so, yeah.
0: it's a wave of sightings basically.
2: Uh, and
1: in a particular place or area.
2: Oh uh, yeah. okay. I right. never heard of that term.
0: Huh. Yeah. So the uh the Battle of Los Angeles, for example, was a huge uh, series of sightings, multiple craft that they spotted over Los Angeles oh, yeah. during right. World War II. It was what, 19, it says 1942. 1942 in, in February. February
3: 25th. And 24.
0: they actually opened fire on these craft because they oh. thought that they were, it was the Japanese, but it turned out they were just unidentified yeah. something or others yeah. uh, that were just glowing in the night sky. And so they sounded the air
2: raid and there were car accidents not, and it, chaos and they were, they were aliens the trying to tell us to yeah. stop this fucking world war shit. You guys are destroying each other.
1: It, yeah. It's an interesting story. I re- We recommend people go look up the Battle of Los Angeles. and just uh, Yeah, I've heard up. of it. Yeah. yeah. And then I, the, there was uh, the Phoenix lights, right? So oh that, yeah, I'm
2: aware of that one. That was one of my okay. favorites. I, of that.
1: I, was, I was what was, I was that like that child. V
2: was that the V-shape thing? That black, uh, like giant V in the sky with the... Yeah, there was yes. this, it was a
0: giant V and then there was a lot of other little lights. Okay.
3: Uh, have
2: you okay, have you two seen the documentary Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs? No, I don't think so. Oh, if it's still on Netflix, you two should watch it. Date movie night. Great movie. movie. It's, it's great about this guy, he's kind of um a quirky fellow, quite friendly and agreeable, but um, lonely. And he, they get into why he's a little bit lonesome. He's got the sad family story, but he's seems like a nice guy. But he happens to see UFOs and he films UFOs. He does like his own electronic music. It's really neat. It's an interesting <laughs> character study. I think you, you two would appreciate it.
1: Cristo Rapolo. I just yeah. Cristo Rapolo. Yeah
3: he claims have to, to have it. been
1: videotaping and communicating with ufos around monterey california for several years yep. and he contacted filmmaker justin gar in 2013 and they began creating a film a film about his sightings
0: interesting so, yeah yeah that's the other thing about the ufo culture which is curious there's a whole subculture of People who follow the phenomenon, who study it, who make it their life's work, who claim to be contactees. There's a very interesting subculture around the contactees. Oh, yeah. Contactees,
2: Uh, what what would that be? So,
0: so there's various degrees of this, but basically, the, the long and short of it are people who. Have either claimed to have been abducted or contacted psychically or telepathically by the aliens who are communicating with them and giving them a message that they are to give to humanity. Uh, And a lot of times these things can get a little cuckoo bananas. Uh, um, and it ends up driving a lot of these people kind of a, a little crazy yeah. and there's also
1: like ufo cults and that sort of thing there have right,
0: a, right. a lot especially there was like a whole thing in like the 80s and the 90s when when that sort of culty ufo vibe became more popular
2: great close movie. encounters of the third kind comes out and everybody thinks yeah. Yeah. Right. So so <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ufo alien movies back then
1: a great yeah. book and they were good a great book about that subject in particular, the cult aspect is uh, Messengers of Deception by Jacques Vallée. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, so Jacques Vallée is a very interesting character. Have you ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind?
2: I have seen it, yeah. Watched so, that with my dad. Was, so
1: you know the French UFO investigator character?
2: It's been years since I've seen the movie. Yeah,
1: he's like the, the detective guy. He's like researching the UFOs. It's
2: been years. He's
1: very obviously French. But yeah, anyway. He's based on Jacques Vallée. Right. And okay. Jacques Vallée was like an internet pioneer, according to Wikipedia. He was a computer scientist and a venture capitalist. So, But he also was a ufologist and an astronomer. And he worked with J. Allen Hynek. Hynek was basically the founder of ufology. Hmm. um he's still alive yeah he wrote a book called this one some weird copy of it but it's the ufo experience it's called <laughs> a scientific inquiry so that was jay allen hynek and hynek was the guy who worked project blue book and the official government programs actually well, that... no, that's
0: hynek's book that's hynek i'm talking about hynek now oh, okay. yeah
1: because they knew each other okay yeah so hynek was the guy who worked with Project Blue Book and the other government programs that were established in the military to investigate UFOs. And Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting case because he actually started off as a debunker. And his job was to debunk these things and to disprove all the cases that came across his desk. And that was what he was intent upon doing.
0: And he was good at it too, because most of the cases that they were getting shit could be explained Explained. in mundane ways. But there was a very small percentage, roughly like four or 5%, of these cases that he could not explain away by, you know, either some aircraft being in the area or a weather phenomenon or you know the person just being crazy cuckoo bananas, and that's what got his attention was these yeah. these unexplainable cohort of cases. He's like mm-hmm. he's like unexplainable. Most of these are you know BS or whatever, but there's this small subset that there's actually a signal here that we cannot explain, and that's what got his attention. Yeah.
1: So Heineck basically went from being a debunker, right, paid by the government and job it is to make these stories <laughs> go away, to someone who became the biggest proponent, perhaps, of studying the UFO phenomenon in a scientific, organized way, to develop a system in which to gather the story, the data, all that stuff. And to organize it. So, mm-hmm. for example, that movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That term comes from his organizational system and how I data. So, Close Encounters of the First Kind, Second Kind, Third Kind, etc. Huh. So, him and Hynek- Oh, do you uh, want
0: to explain what they are, Daniel?
1: I mean, I could go into them. I don't so know. The first I'm... is
0: when you see the UFO. The second yeah, yeah. is when you see the 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 critter, the the the, the flyer, the pilot of the, the UFO. And then the third is when they take you. Oh, is that
2: the third? it's up? the third fourth. is?
0: When they
1: take you and they uh, added it on.
0: No, okay. Well, I don't know. Go look it up. But I was I gonna... think the fourth is when they actually like they take you and they perform medical
2: experiments. Yeah, and they make out. you take the vaccine. <laughs> they make you take the vaccine. <laughs> go the look pro, and
1: I guess we can go over them, but I was gonna go back to Valet because is interesting. He was friends with hynek and yeah, he's the the French investigator character in that movie thats oh. is loosely based on Jacques Vallée. Huh. Who, he was investigating this stuff also very early. So he's one of the first guys who started promoting the interdimensional hypothesis to you. Oh. And he started to analyze comparative religious texts, um, stories like, like the uh, Fatima sighting in Portugal in the early 1900s. Um, folklore of like fairies and gnomes and stuff from like Like those
2: weird paintings with ufos in the skies
1: all that shit but like the myths the legends and the different things that pop up in religions and and folklore stories and he started to see parallels and connections between those things and modern day ufo and abduction encounters and those stories so he began he was the one who sort of began to devise this hypothesis that perhaps they're interdimensional and not just that perhaps they appear according to the uh, cultural or i guess epistemological level Mm. i'm using that word correctly of the of the culture that sees them right and they will appear within that lens so if you're a christian or whatever you might see yeah an angel or a demon or that sort or if you're you know this this religion you're muslim maybe you might see a jinn Mm. that sort of thing
2: like your like the U whatever consciousness is controlling the U, the the object in the sky makes the decision to appear in that form? or is it the consciousness of of people living at the time perceiving it as that or per- perhaps projecting it as that, angelic character the only thing they can think of that flies in the sky is an angel therefore they see it as an angel or they kind of imagine it to look angelic write it down as angelic or is it like that's the question that's the question that's the question
1: question, because when you think about it it's like if they're appearing to us in a way to kind of blend in then that then they know about us
2: then they 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 know about the culture Then they would have to know
1: something Yeah. yeah to me that's crazier than we're just like perceiving them according to our level of understanding but i think maybe it's both maybe we can't perceive them beyond our level of understanding therefore they choose to appear as something closer to our level well we know there's
2: colors we can't we know those colors we can't perceive so why would it stop at colors true yeah
0: i I don't know weirder too than what we know because the the realm of what's outside of our perceptual range is actually you know, orders of magnitude more significant than what our actual perceptual range is. So it's not any one thing too, is another thing we have to think about, you know, what we consider the UFO phenomenon, may be a collection of disparate individual hmm. things that just sort of manifest similarly because they are outside of the, of the standard human perceptual range. And because of that, you know, we see them similarly, even though they are, they are in fact, different things. But is
1: there an intelligence there? That's the real question. Because, yeah, they could be phenomenon and there's like, right. and you could argue, sure, the universe is intelligent and all that. But what I mean is like sentient and like conscious, like acting consciously.
0: I don't know, Daniel, maybe you should give right. a. I think, a little, I think there is. I do a little there UFO is. ritual in the backyard and nah, call I'm them like down. down
1: i'll do some inakian ritual ha, la, 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 la. some of them for their powers but no i think i think there is there's i've read and seen enough to convince me what? that that there's definitely a consciousness and intelligence that directs the phenomenon and is mm-hmm. interacting with humanity and why i don't know maybe they're mistakes slip ups and they don't mean to be seen maybe they do mean to be seen i've even theorized like man maybe they create our religions and if you think about something Mm. like that that's a really crazy mental rabbit hole to go down like man humanity's always fighting over religion and beliefs and that sort of thing and maybe they maybe that's why maybe they keep appearing to people and saying hey you're the chosen one you know i'm god pass this message on you are the messiah you're the messiah and then they poof out and then that's it and then they observe and see what happens
2: See, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning heavily towards them being outside our perceptual range because we know this that our our the limitations on our perception. One explanation for that is that it's kind of designed that way for survival. If we could perceive everything, we would collapse, right? Like we yeah. wouldn't know what to focus on. So Overload. our brains have evolved to perceive only these uh, stimuli these colors not those other billions of colors we can't perceive or these objects not those objects yeah i don't think it just stops at color i don't know what else would be included in that list because i can't comprehend that i don't know perhaps but but then it's like well why are we able so we can perceive the ufo things in the sky as what they manifest themselves to be so then it's like oh they're they're making themselves into objects that we can perceive but then, like their final form, to use an anime phrase, is like something we can't compre- comprehend at all.
1: Well, not just objects, because that's one level of it. The beings as well. Yeah. But there are people who see beings as well and claim they're that.
2: definitely not like big green beings. They're they're not green- I don't think they're. I don't think they're big and green. That's a dumb Hollywood thing.
1: Well, but there's a reason that the big-eyed gray alien stereotype is in our culture now one of the main reasons honestly is a book called communion Mm. which kind of popularized that image more do you remember the author's name brent who wrote communion that was um it's that guy though christopher walken was in that terrible adaptation of whitley strieber so yeah communion by whitley strieber he was an early abduction I guess experience who wrote a book, a series of books about his experience. But on the cover, they had this really creepy alien picture with the two big yeah, I show you uh, guys. And that was one of the earliest depictions of aliens like this. But the reason they the reason this image and, and way of looking at aliens and drawing them came about in our culture isn't isn't because I think of meme, it's because there were so many separate, you know, desperate, disparate stories of people who are all describing this same sort of thing if that makes sense
2: and there that, was makes, that makes and sense that's sort of like an archetype yeah. <laughs>
3: that so is, yeah
1: in that context is it i guess the aliens appearing in this way in particular or is it because i don't know we all just happen to come up with a similar way of what we think an alien would look like when when we encounter one that's paul
2: that's plausible uh, too basically. i mean that is what we do
1: i don't know you know i really don't know people have described other types of seeing other types not just like grays but they're described like reptilians of course we all know those <laughs> and uh like right. bug types perfect, like humans.
0: perfect humans are another some better yeah human class some that are human like yeah they right. they look uh, almost aryan or nordic yeah and they have like the blonde hair the blue eyes they're like muscular and fit um but yeah there's i a... remember
2: uh, i remember the face on mars freaked me out when i was a kid i didn't know that that was just fake i thought oh shit, there's a face on mars well wow. it does it's look really it does it look weird look. yeah I, I had a nightmare about it once i remember that <laughs> yeah. yeah i had a nightmare about the i remember i was in this it's thing called astro camp in fifth grade and right before i went to astro camp i was looking up cons- mars ufo <laughs> conspiracy theories on google and i found this thing called the face on mars and I had a nightmare about it at Astro Camp because it was all about the space and this camp in space. And it was like terrifying. Astro Camp. Astro Camp. Yeah. Astro Camp is rad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I do think it's not crazy to believe that there are phenomena that we cannot perceive in this universe we inhabit that we currently cannot comprehend.
0: Colors, That's man. one of the things. So the other book we pulled out here is "This Is the Eighth Tower" by John Keel. And Keel, if you recall the Mothman prophecies, maybe with Richard Greer.
2: I'm not familiar with it. I know the Mothman what? name. But I don't know the literature on it though. No, so
0: Keel is the character who Richard uh, Greer's character in the movie is based on. It's it. very loosely based
3: on. Very it. loosely based. The, the but book anyway. is
0: his you can see it's got the eye with the different colors that's his whole shtick is that whatever this phenomenon is it's outside of our standard perceptual range until it decides not to be yeah Uh, and he this this book's called the eighth tower on ultra terrestrials and the super spectrum, wow. so he calls them ultra terrestrials instead of extra or yeah. you know extra dimensional meaning them. as something
1: that's like inhabits this realm in a native way. It's from but it exists on a plane
0: above ours. Yeah, huh.
3: yeah
1: so Kill Kill's actually another great character. I recommend everyone go read his books too. He wrote the my Prophecies, which we said, but he also wrote uh, a really great book called Operation Trojan Horse. Which I highly recommend. It's back in print. Came back in print a couple of years ago. It used to be super rare and hard to find this book, but it's easy to get now. Go read it, man. Like I said, he covers similar things that Valet was talking about as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking at the comparative religion aspects of it, the different myths, the folklore. The so deception. he wrote about that, but he also wrote about modern cases and investigated modern cases of which the Mothman prophecies was just the mothman was just the most famous of those cases
2: i like to believe that aliens are what visit me when i have um fuck, what's it called it's when you're trying to between you're sleeping at night you wake sleep up paralysis. And you sleep paralysis yeah that shit you can go down some creepy rabbit holes one of my favorite things is like creepy internet rabbit holes like yeah. a sleep paralysis rabbit hole around <laughs> halloween time you're gonna have nightmares for weeks especially if you've had it before which i have i have not my brother has though Never he says it. it's nuts neither of you have no my steve has brother
0: i've never had it
2: he says i hate i hate talking about it because i feel like i'm gonna jinx myself but i don't mind talking about it it's not like some traumatic thing i'm still processing but yes dude, I, it, had, it was, I have had it i have it is that
1: oh dude it showed back up it showed up, and it took you daniel stop
3: it
0: <laughs> i mean i don't know it um and I then know. my other my most favorite author and somebody who i think is probably one of the most intelligent and fascinating characters of the modern age is the the infamous Lara Knight Yadchik. So I mentioned her on your podcast.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So she was the one she wrote that other book prolific
0: that author, history history buff, um, insane uh, memory, the way that she connects these disparate things that she's read and pulls them together, and then you know mm-hmm. She's definitely She's like, weird as
1: hell. I love it. Child. Mother
0: of four or five. I can't remember how many kids she had, but she's, she's a brilliant polymath and a uh, total like modern day mystic. She has this book called High Strangeness Hyperdimensions, Dimensions The Process of Alien Abduction, which will blow your socks off, proverbially speaking, because she gets into uh, this channeling experiment that she did.
2: Hmm. Channeling? Yeah, yes, so.
0: it's a so it was an
2: experiment All right, So
1: you're going into the crazy, crazy stuff right yes, now. Yes, this is the deep deep. All right, I'm gonna let you Great. from let him. me get my dive tank and line. Right, take a yeah. deep breath. I'm gonna go get another smoke. You can take it. Do you, you want, want to get it? a oh, oh cool,
2: cool. Um it's even too much for him.
0: <laughs> so this is like the whole rabbit hole. So she's done this whole uh, what I would call it's an experiment in critical channeling so she got into channeling um, because she read the raw material which I don't know if you ever heard of but um, it was basically an early attempt at, at critical channeling or, or scientific channeling uh, where so channeling basically started as this idea of trance channeling, where it came out of the early 20th century when uh, spiritism became popular and they were having uh, people that had psychic abilities would act as mediums mm. and they would allow mostly dead dudes to possess their body for a time and speak through them. And there became uh, this th- these researchers, which sort of started, you know, trying to help these lost spirits or whatever, process their trauma and move on to the other side so that eventually gave
2: kardec is one of them
0: yeah so that eventually gave way to non-human intelligences uh beginning to come through and in the this this whole experiment called the raw thing it started to describe this layer of you need to go outside go outside (laughs) it needs to uh describe this whole layer of different densities which are kind of like uh the way they describe it is that densities are on top of each other and there's a limited number and then dimensions are like parallel realities or parallel worlds which are Mm -hmm. sort of lateral and so they're side by side uh and so The Miss Lara, she did this experiment where, and her version of channeling was that they used a spirit board, which is kind of like a more advanced Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it requires two people to operate and they put their hands on the little thing. And then uh, they can use that to communicate with ambient energies. And after they did a lot of work with, uh, what she would call it what she called dead dudes. They were doing a lot of processing and releasing into the light and all that stuff. A lot of like psychopompery.
1: Yeah, well, she was talking to to basically, when I say talking, what I mean is whatever was coming through the board and spelling things out it just sounded like people who had passed away or different, like disparate personalities and, and like ghosts, human dead intelligences, dead dudes, you know, nothing like, yeah, like super extraterrestrial or bizarre or anything of that sort.
0: Um, so then she got in contact after, you know, I think it was like a couple of years they were doing this. Um, she got in contact with the, these, this group of entities which identified themselves as the Cassiopeians and they started to lay out this almost like sci-fi world building uh, kind of reality, which it, it, I don't even want to get into it because there's so much, but they, yeah, it's a lot. but it's this whole big level where, you know, basically it kind of goes back into what Charles Fort was saying. And what Keela's is saying is that there's like um, sort of a, you know, a, a field around the planet where we you know we can only perceive stuff in our perceptual range and then outside of that range there are all these like intelligencies that are sort of doing stuff and and plotting things and she gets into the whole not narrative of you know how long we've been involved and why they abduct people and why it's so weird like a lot of these alien abduction stories are very strange when you hear like the actual details and this is one of the things that people are very hesitant to communicate generally. They don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of being called crazy or something because some aspect of the experience is so bizarre or so outside the realm of normal or what you consider normal is that is if they were to t- talk about it, like clearly people would think they were crazy. Uh, like that a lot of times there's like like weird food involved or like loss of time. You know, people have the experience of like going back in time or being taken aboard a ship or all these crazy stories, right? So that's the cool thing about Miss Lara Nykachik is she sort of takes this like very critical perspective towards all this. Like, even though it's coming through the board, even though it's her experiment, they they take notes on everything. She doesn't
1: every single thing down that comes through, every uh, she doesn't believe it
0: basically. You know,
1: she's very skeptical.
2: So so channeling is like, you do you need a Ouija board for that?
1: So look, the the difference between what she was doing and I guess what normal channeling was, and she talks about this is she is skeptical of normal channeling and if it's real she wouldn't want to do it because it's this idea that you're like a medium and you're giving control oh, trans channeling trans channeling like you're giving control of your mind and your body over to the thing that you're calling upon to talk to
3: hmm.
1: which i mean if you want to try to do that go for it if it's real i don't want anything using my body and mind
2: to talk and to. so she, she used so to she documented that she came into contact with the cassiopians and that they were
1: So the board is sort of like a a medium. Instead of letting something control her body, they're using the board as sort of like a third-party thing to have control over the experiment. Like you can step away from a board. You can walk away. You're not asking something, and if it's real, I don't know if it's not, but you're not asking something to take control of your mind is what I mean and trying to like talk through you. That's that's what like trans mediums and all that sort of thing is. That's not what she's doing. With the board, yes, they're reaching out, asking questions. She communicated with a lot of different disparate sounding oh, things, say. right? Like spirits, maybe. And then in 19, I think, 96, it was when a comet struck Jupiter around that time. Something came through the board that was noticeably different than all the other things that they were talking to
2: when they were talking. After the comet struck Jupiter? Around that, it was around that time. I think it was that same day.
1: I got to oh. for the details. But they started communicating with something that was noticeably more sophisticated and its responses became longer and more elaborate and detailed. And you know, when, when they asked, like tried to get to the bottom of what, what they were talking to, it identified itself as the Cassiopeians. And you know, they asked, are, are you alien? You know, and they said, from your perspective whatever that means and then as she probed further and further you know into it eventually they said something along the lines of like we are you in the future
3: Hmm.
1: is this true is it not you know we don't know does she believe it do they believe it not really i mean it's an experiment this whole thing that they've been doing all these years is just an experiment but basically through talking to this Thing, entity whatever the cassiopeians maybe it's a collection of entities they would ask all these weird questions about whatever it is they've been interested in so ancient monoliths or like world war ii or any historical weird scientific thing too that they were fascinated about they would ask questions to the board see what answers came back basically so you'd have
2: to wonder what the motivation would be to even fake all that too because now i mean you're gonna just look crazy right right you're gonna look crazy it's like why 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 would i even fake that i'm just gonna look crazy so
1: no she was genuinely interested and found that she had hit a dead end in her own personal experiences in life and in books and studying Hmm. trying to like figure out the deeper questions to reality so she started to experiment she was like well let me try this let me try that She calls it superluminal communication. It's like communication that's supposed to be faster than light. Yeah. Yeah. So information gets transfer that way and it's like coming through the board object but really it's supposed to be actually yeah the human
0: head. nervous system is the the, the technical yeah. receiving apparatus and that the board is just the medium that the output comes through and then that would determine how the hand moves across the board and it but feels
1: you, do like need op- and you, it. And you
0: need two people to operate
1: it and you need two people operate and it's weird I, mean, I don't know like she'll have two people there are three of them sometimes and and i've seen like how the sessions go and sometimes it just flies around that thing and spells shit so quickly where you're just like how are they that good at spelling things that quickly if they're making all this up you understand if it's not right. I don't know. The point is they were talking to this for years and years and years asking it all these weird questions. Sometimes it would give them clear responses, sometimes it would give them very unclear responses or it would tell them do research yourself. We don't want to uh-huh. give you the answer, find the answer. So they might drop a hint here or drop a hint there. And then there's been a couple of things they've basically said, oh, this will happen or this might happen and shit happens. But they also say like, you know, we're not gods. Like don't worship us. Um, Do your own research, take everything we say with a grain of salt. Um, You can't hand knowledge to people on a silver platter. It's this thing you got to work toward and anything that's trying to just tell you this is the truth is probably deceiving you. So I mean, if she's trying to start a cult around this stuff, she's doing, I guess, a terrible job at it. If that's the religion they're teaching, because you're basically why do
2: you th- what? What's your explanation for why these, ultra terrestrial beings would want to remain in the state and not just come out and contact us directly? So they would say that interferes with
0: free will. Well, they also so first of all, like it's complicated because the I think the the beings that that claim to be communicating through this, this mechanism are pure energy thought forms. They're not, they don't have like a physical form. So uh, they can't actually physically manifest on our plane and just, but they, there, there is a class apparently of a uh, higher dimensional being that could and would, it, and if they are so like another thing they get into is this idea of STO or STS, but basically it's like good and evil or dark and light. Uh, But like, they're not really, it's hard to explain because like, they're not actually like the evil is, is a point of view. I'm fact.
1: realizing how hard to explain it's a lot of this so stuff is much. on like a podcast and in like a limited amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's a lot. Thousands of pages of material. So, it's-
2: so, the, so there's like there's beings that exist in these energy fields that we can't comprehend and then there's the UFO class that can come and wow. contact us sort of.
0: So then they're basically like, like I was well, talking about densities. densities yeah. So we're on what's called the third density. Animals and plant life is like second density and And then, like, inanimate matter, viruses, bacteria, and stuff like that are, like, first density. Uh,
1: Bacteria and stuff like that would be second. Okay, whatever. Minerals and just dead matter. Fact-checked. Yeah, okay.
0: So then, uh, above us is the fourth density. And the fourth density is divided into light and dark, uh, or STS, service to self. Uh, or sto service to other and like the key idea is like one sort of spirals in towards itself and the other sort of constantly spirals out towards outward um and the outward is like the the light and the good or like what we would see as good from a human perspective and the sts is like the dark or the evil or the demonic yeah. from our perspective.
1: predatory like black hole consuming eating 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 the other side would be you know symbiotic
3: mm-hmm.
1: nourishing creating right so it's like those two forces that make the universe what it is she just uses these terms because i think the raw material
0: uses the raw material originated a lot of these terms Uh, so what basically they describe is that we are currently in a state of being owned by a higher dimensional negative for like consortium uh that is kind of like Uh, represented by this idea of uh, the like lizard people or like reptilian (laughs) beings. Uh, These are like basically large alligator looking critters that Don't really come to our realm, but what they do do is that they use the grays, which are what we think of when we think of, you know, standard aliens as uh, like sock puppets, the way that we would use an avatar in a video game in order to interact with a digital realm.
1: Yeah, so I remember the C's described, the Cassiopeians of C's described them as um, like biomechanical like machines, like they're sort of like grown. And they're like designed to be able to interact
3: more. Oh, okay. So planet. they represent
2: the reptile thingies that you were describing earlier. Yeah, so like, I can't. Yeah. Wait, why? Why are they? Wait, so the reptile ones are the ones that are the extra-dimensional energy yeah, ones. So think about like yeah, that. They actually. How do we know the reptiles? First, I thought they fourth, don't fourth, have like a form.
0: They're fourth density, so they do have a form. Then uh-huh. that is fifth density, which is kind of where. All souls go to be recycled to plot their next life to reincarnate. And then above that is the sixth density, which is where these thought forms that we're communicating with Miss Laura through the board reside. And then above that is the seventh density, which is like the one, the source, the all, where everything is united. And then it Mm. cycles back Mm. on itself and goes back to verse density. So it's sort of this like never-ending cycle which creates all of material so reality. this
1: theory though that like the grays are some thing controlled by a higher thing is interesting and in, say like the context of like nanobots
0: right because they're yeah. like little bots that we control from a higher
1: form of existence yeah, which we make something tinier and a tinier that can interact with tiny things in that tiny dimension
2: oh, okay relative that's to the us the analogy there Okay, right? so yeah.
1: that's kind of how i look at it but again, you know, this is obviously speculation. This is just ways of trying to. Like, but
2: then up. but then you said something um, about it, yeah. in, 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 getting in the way of free will is one of the reasons for not contacting us. What did you mean by that?
1: So they talk about STO STS, right? STO, like you you help, right? But. Part of learning is, like, people have to go through things and experience shit themselves. You can't, like, do it for them. sort of like the prime directive in Star Trek. Yeah, so sort of like that. So to really have true, to acquire true knowledge, you have to work for the knowledge. or doesn't mean anything. Like, if it's just handed to you, any...
2: So the, you have this moral code that they have all agreed upon sort of. that says we don't we don't engage with the humans because we want them to discover us well, the, uh, the good the guys, themselves. the good guys can't
1: yeah. the good guys Do wouldn't that. interfere because it would be messing up our lesson plan, you could say, like the okay. that we have. And then there's bad guys. Our, the Ooh. bad guys would, would think of like a negative entity as something that would contact you and say, I have the truth. Here is the truth. Here is what you should believe. Uh, you are special. Pass this message on. Huh. Any and basically the Cs would say that anything that you talk to that's that's talking to you in that way is an STO, sorry, an STS entity, something negative that's trying to control you or program you or direct you, right, in a particular way. They wouldn't say, Hey, believe this, do this, behave in this way. They would engage with your questions and then they would probably tell you in certain instances the C's, for example, like go. Do more research here or do more research. And there are questions there.
0: They, won't they won't answer because yeah. it would either, to know the answer, would put the physical person, it would put the person in physical danger, uh, yeah. or that they, it, or that they, uh, they can't tell you that because it would sort of prevent them from having a necessary learning experience that yeah. they sort of signed up for uh, before they incarnated. So that's,
1: it's a weird worldview, man. And so it's and like saying it out loud. All this shit sounds so crazy.
2: <laughs> that that the, the bad being alien thing is giving this uh, innocent person almost like this the sacred knowledge, which is which would actually harm them because now they believe they're essentially they've got this god complex. Oh, I've been bestowed with this awesome wisdom. I know everything now. But that's the trick. That's the farce. You're you're actually harming this person psychologically by revealing that you're this. Um, seventh level being that they that They'll we forced, exist but you're you're, also, you're depriving
1: you're, you're depriving de- them aliens. you're depriving them of the experience of having to trudge through to get the knowledge themselves huh well yeah,
2: if that's true that's a useful lesson and it's a powerful metaphor and i respect uh the good aliens for because <laughs> that's a really good idea actually to not want to reveal themselves to us simply for um spiritual educational purposes if you really think about it that's like that's quite remarkable and wow
1: yeah Wow. Well, the whole thing's strange. I we recommend just reading the transcripts too. I mean, you can find them all online,
3: mm-hmm. but
1: they're just they're interesting as just a study case.
3: And
0: yeah, I and she's t- got a whole series yeah. of books called "The Wave," which document the the entire experiment. Yeah, because we, the UFO phenomenon and the the alien aspect of it is only one sort of facet of the whole thing. Uh, so she's got like these eight books that sort of go through mm-hmm. from the very beginning um and basically it's it's very curious because there's it's this whole journey of knowledge and experiences that laura has throughout her life and it teaches her so much about the nature of the ufo phenomenon about the nature of psychopathy for example she's actually the reason that i got into uh psychopathy and psychology and and the, the psychology of predatory personalities is because they led her through this whole experimental journey because she had a psychopath in her life that she wasn't aware of.
3: Hmm.
0: Uh, and it was only after she had the experience did she really grok and understand the, the nature of the psychopathic mind. And that sort of plays into the uh, what it sort of represents on our level, what the STS energy sort of is when it manifests in a human form you get sort of this like psychopathic mind that sees people as objects to be used for their own self enrichment as as food, as, as food as food basically yeah. because they, they again it's, it's about that narcissistic sucking into the self well they also talk about how
1: being in physical bodies just where we are in, on this realm in third density we're kind of inherently more sts we have mm. bodies we need to eat right we're gonna kill animals and things and eat them so the whole thing with this world view that i always found so fascinating is it kind of really got me to understand this concept that perhaps humans aren't the top of the food chain and that's a really arrogant way to look our, at our existence here like you said like we're not right. alone right that's arrogant in and of itself to say we're alone
2: like right 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 like we figured right. everything out we've yeah. seen all of the universe but maybe it's
1: freakier. Maybe it's not just that we're not alone. We're also not the top of the food chain here. Maybe there is something here that- Oh, yeah, that's terrifying too. Us, yeah, right, yeah. Right. That, yeah,
2: if we're not that, alone.
1: That feed then... on us, maybe the earth is something's property. And Charles Fort described it in that way too, that we are property. That was kind of the conclusion he came mm. through.
2: Yeah, because you, you used Back the word- then, Oh, oh you know? yeah, you, you said uh, gray aliens were owned by like the other aliens. And then who could we perhaps be quote unquote owned by- um, in this this schema of of reality yeah because if we're not
1: alone then think of it like a farm so this is one of the analogies that's interesting so you know when we start a farm what do we do we put a fence up right and we enclose a patch of land we enclose that space and now that our space we own it right and then we breed the beings within that space which we then use as a resource for all sorts of things it's not just food right we might gather something from them by keeping them alive like wool or we might use them for labor or something like that right so there's various uses we experiment on animals right so i think it's sort of like that where perhaps the earth and i don't know this but perhaps the earth is an enclosed off space by something that has taken it as a territory like this is mine (laughs) and these these are my humans like this is my patch of food I don't know. Right. But think about it. You put a fence up. Does the cow know it's like enclosed? It doesn't. Right. It doesn't know anything beyond that. So think of the fence on humanity is sort of like control of our consciousness, control of our beliefs. Mm -hmm. So if this is the case and there is something higher than us that kind of owns this place and rules us, maybe it does make religions. Maybe it does control our belief about them.
2: Hmm. You understand what I mean? I understand what you're meaning. Yes.
0: They also the one thing that they suggest is that, or that the the C suggests through Laura and her writing, is that they farm negative emotional energy, and that it's some sort of food and like a form of electricity that they use uh, on a higher plane of existence yeah, and now we're in
1: the matrix analogy yeah okay.
0: so it's kind of like the matrix analogy but the interesting we're thing people, is that it's, that it's negative genes. energy it's negative emotions it's trauma like yeah. all of the bad things that humans yeah. experience suffering sadness war, anger rage violence, all of that yeah. stuff uh which comes out interestingly a lot in war zones like you know you have war zones uh. of, in the human trafficking phenomenon, for example, which something uh, people forget a lot is that there's more people in human trafficking and human slavery right now than there have ever been in the entire oh, yeah. yeah Uh, which I, I think could be related, and maybe uh-huh. that's why it's not, you know, pursued seriously. A lot know. of kids go missing. Who knows? Man,
2: so this knows would make on. a great movie or like a book. It would. Like all yeah. of these ideas. I mean, these yeah. are these uh, are very powerful, and I don't mean imaginative as as if I'm dismissing this. Um, just powers of the imagination, very imaginative ideas that would make for a great story. Like all oh, this is like a cool plot point for like some it great is. story, this would be great.
3: Yeah,
1: it's imaginative, but what's crazy is like when you connect enough dots, you realize there's some substance to these theories. I don't think it's something that we should just so easily dismiss, you know?
2: Oh, it, I agree. Yeah, yeah I didn't mean
1: real, whatever the hell they are, I don't know, I, yeah. um, I know they're here and they have been interacting with people for a long time. And there's a, a connection between them and, say, like the creation of like prophet type people. And we've seen it in the modern era with modern UFO cults. So, who's to say something like that may have not been like occurring throughout history? And like I said, they want to create false prophet type people and then start new religions and belief systems. And then we all like kill each other over these belief systems. So, I don't
2: Maybe know. It's conversation. Maybe, it's Maybe it's not yeah these conversations just scare a lot of people because when you have an imaginative mind or you're high in creativity it's easy to start believing in the powers of your own imagination because you can kind of you can entertain these ideas more easily and things start to seem a little bit more believable and for very many people they sort of want to pretend that they're not that imaginative even though they really are and that they could actually believe in these ideas because things start to sound more reasonable um, same thing with the UFOs thing, too. It's like, oh, I don't want to admit that I've seen these things, or I don't want to really admit that I could entertain these ideas because I want to look logical.
1: I found there's levels to it. Even when it comes to entertaining these ideas, there's levels to how you could even introduce them to people. And and then people themselves are at a certain level and how much they could even want to grapple with it. So there are the people out there who just don't think aliens are real at all, right? I don't right. know how many. It's probably not that many at this point in history. <laughs> and there's the people out there who think yeah aliens are real but they're not here right then there's the people who study enough where they're like okay the aliens are real and we've like we've seen some ufos are here we've interacted with some so to get from that point to not only are they here and interacting with us but that they're possibly directing human events to some extent or okay rolling history to some extent or even worse, like I said, that like they own us and we're in a farm. Like trying to drop that idea on someone in normal conversation without building up to it just does not work. People are going to reject
2: it. No one wants to- Yeah, you're jumping too far in advance. Not just yeah. like said, no one
1: wants to even think about the possibility that maybe they are asleep. Maybe they are in in a prison of some sort and that maybe there is something above us that's like feeding one and eating us. Who the hell wants to like- believe that or think about that you know so it's like people like laura are commonly dismissed or ridiculed for even proposing that such hypotheses are, are possible there's a lot
0: of hate yeah. for her on the internet oh, yeah, like her.
2: Google her name. plus it's also it's also like the ufo thing you were pointing out earlier um most of the footage is fake and therefore there's a very small percentage that is real right. but these ideas it's like jesus what do we have to go off of right so, so it's it's lot like lot you can't film these it. things. There's no cameras that film in like four K ultra. You
1: have patterns, and you have patterns in history, and then which is, you know pat, which patterns is. patterns in myth patterns. But again, it's religion. not, it's not firm. There's it's nothing not firm. There's yeah, no, no
2: patterns I'm, are a tricky thing. Cause we start to parse out things so, from the patterns that don't exist. So
1: one of the things I want to address too, is, you know, the, the scientific people who, or the skeptic types, I should say, not all scientific people, but the skeptic types, You're
0: crazy Daniel,
1: who automatically dismiss this along the lines of, well, there's no experiments or proof or data.
0: To prove the bodies, Daniel.
1: And here's my problem with demanding such evidence. And I'm not saying we shouldn't demand evidence because we want evidence, right? We want to know what's real and what's not. And we want to be able to like tangibly prove that. In science, you have to measure things, right? So when you do an experiment, typically what you're doing is you're taking some form of measurement. Correct? And in in an experiment, you also typically have a, a group, right? That's a controlled group sometimes. Sometimes there's what do they call the other group friends? There's the control group and then there's the... experimental the experiment group. The, the experimental, experimental group. Yeah. So how do you conduct an experiment like that where you have to have controls and this sort of thing and be able to measure, right? And get the same measurement back every single time you can't, uh, to prove when you're dealing with something that is being directed by an intelligence that is possibly higher than ours. And that intelligence could feed you back the results it wants you to see or doesn't want you to see. You understand? How do you confine something that is higher than you in its intelligence or consciousness to an experiment that you have to control when you can't control something that's responding to the experiment.
2: The scientific process only applies to this So You have to to be able to repeat it, right? Some animals below us, yeah,
1: we can study them because they don't know what we're doing to them. So we can do those things to them and just keep looking for the same result. And then we form a a hypothesis, right? Like maybe this is what, what the explanation for this behavior is, we test, we test, we test, and then we find out, okay, that's what it is, right? Or is it? Right. Right. How do you do that with something above us that can react to everything we're doing, knows we're trying to experiment to then prove its existence and maybe it doesn't want its existence proved. So it's, it's you're never gonna get the same data. You're not gonna be able to confine that to a controlled experiment. It, like It would be able to feed you whatever data it wanted to feed you, you understand?
2: yeah i get where you're going yeah yeah
1: and it's not that i dismiss these skeptics and they're you know they're wanting for for more physical evidence or something that you can measure when it comes to the ufo alien phenomenon but i feel like they're not taking this into account when dealing with something like this you get it's just like no no that makes sense for years for years i've had these thoughts in my mind and i've you know really tried to get to the bottom of it and I wish more scientists would take the subject seriously, but that I don't think that's ever gonna happen. Not, not in
0: my lifetime. And the ones who do, a lot are too afraid. So, like, do you ever see that movie Jupiter Ascending with Channing? No, um, we just had it on the other night. Uh, yeah, so it's fun because they—it's a sci-fi universe where this idea of Earth being sort of like a harvestable farm is kind of central to the plot, basically the the idea behind it is that there's this like ancient race of like intergalactic humans, and they seed life on worlds and then allow the, the human life to grow up. And then they come and they like mass abduct everyone and sort of turn them into this like, this like this like liquid like slush that allows other humans that they, they like bathe in it or whatever. It's like the purest form of like, you know, it's like really high quality stuff and it human allows goo. them to regenerate uh, and live forever basically. So like yeah. anytime, you know, they, they live and they get like, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old or whatever, and they take a bath in the human goo and all of a sudden they're back in their 20 year old bodies and stuff. So it's just very interesting Little idea. I don't think they literally. I don't think that's what's happened. But there's also like reptilian aliens involved. and, so, like I don't know. They have a base on Jupiter, and it's the, this whole thing. The
1: Wachowskis are clearly onto some shit. I mean, yeah, they're reading. They're reading something. I mean, you look yeah. at *Atrix*. You look at that movie, but also they did *Cloud Atlas*, which is another excellent film and doesn't touch in the alien stuff but but reincarnation What about reincarnation and patterns and that and that sort of thing
2: what do you think of reincarnation my uh mother believes in reincarnation oh i believe in reincarnations
1: yeah so we i think we talked about this was it on our last show Uh, it was with raquel i think uh, she um
2: she believes i wasn't there for this when a family member passed away she has told me that she saw this gray fog emit from the mouth of this person who had this family member who had died and another family was there ectoplasm. um my my uncle was there with her and he supposedly saw the same thing that's what you told me sounds like ectoplasm could have been yeah, or like, it could have just I mean, you know been a, the, soul,
0: a, leaving, the soul leaving the, the body. body.
1: That's like,
2: what that is actually what she believes is that it was the soul leaving the body. Yes.
1: So we did and chat on this two two episodes ago. I believe it was with Raquel, but one of the things I, I mentioned to her was, and the reason why I think there's something to reincarnation is, you know, if you've ever met a really really wise kid or young person, you know, someone who's just like brilliant, perceptive, beyond their years almost. And you're just like how, how are you so wise or how do you see things already in this way when I've met like the 65 seven year old person who like hasn't learned a damn thing they're still repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And when you think about it, perhaps it's this kid who's bright has a older soul and this adult who you know who's still stuck in the same pattern hasn't learned things maybe they're on their first or second maybe life. they're on their Yeah, first. you oh, by yeah. old soul like I've
2: heard the phrase old soul yeah. by old soul you mean it's not their first it's not their first rodeo here yes yeah. right. so it's
1: like maybe this older immature person just Which, has lived less lives and it, like it doesn't
2: contain the, uh, the, the the Wikipedia articles of everything that exists this kid yeah. also know what a fire truck is it's like that the moral brain so to speak yeah. exists within the soul well i think
1: also in past lives to get to like a wise soul i think we go through all of the i'm gonna use the term now the sts type versions of ourselves who are more evil and service to self like we were probably a nazi in the past and a slave owner and like a murderer or like a rapist or something like that and then eventually we become less predatory as we reincarnate we learned our lessons from the previous ones and then we incarnate into people who are just not shitty people if that makes sense but i think it's like maybe our past lives had to go through the experience is what i mean of being horrible and evil and predatory to then get to a point where you learn the lessons of why it's holding you back to be that way and if you want to progress you go the other way
2: it's just like the entertainment of the idea is like the psychology behind it it's it's believable but it's like you can't prove it which is so frustrating it's like you can't scientifically prove it
1: There's, uh, I mean, there's definitely like near death experiences and and that sort of thing is
2: an interesting phenomenon and there's research about it.
0: Have you ever taken a significant dose of psychedelics, Paul?
2: (laughs) I I have not. I know people who have, the hardest shit I've ever taken was like a a chocolate bar with weed in it from Santa Cruz. That was it. (laughs) I love it though. It's fun. But no, uh, I have not. I have not, uh, but I have heard many stories on Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss about psychedelics enough to have like a surface level of comprehension of it. I I know about the, the uh the beings that one perceives under the influence of ayahuasca. And all elves. Yeah, the the <laughs> no, elves. And whatnot. Was, so read enough, Huxley to know about this stuff. Uh,
0: LSD has this effect on the mind that's sort of like it definitely opens doors and opens doorways, and it's it's uh, a definitely, definitely a Definitely a perception.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna pull
0: that out. One of my favorite books. Oh. It's totally a shortcut to higher knowledge, and it can be dangerous for people
2: who have uns- yeah, for, Forbidden knowledge, you become God, yeah, yeah.
1: I think I think it could expose people to perhaps certain understandings and things and knowledge that they're not, like, ready for. Is what I, right
2: I, Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. They're not ready for it, yeah, yeah. And it can
0: also become, uh, you know, for some people, it can become addictive because they have sort of a revolutionary or revelatory experience Um then there's actually a phrase called a peak experience, which tends to occur when people take more than 250 micrograms of, uh, of LSD at one time. Um, and when people have these experiences, they sort of, uh, you know, they leave their body, they lose sort of association with their physical form. Um, and they have these weird sort of moments where they like, feel like they're in communication with like the universe or God or whatever. Um, or they get in touch and they feel their past life. there's all these crazy stories that happen under the influence of these drugs. And a lot of times they are just, just dismissed as, you know you know it's a hallucinatory experience it's drugs in the brain like you're just going crazy like you're messing with the antenna and you're kind of changing
1: what it can pick up and not pick up and that's and then the
2: question is, is is like why is the antenna even able to pick up these signals that's in the, the first place Yeah, when we get into the rabbit hole of like consciousness and psychedelics and the relationship between the two that's something we really don't understand like why, why the do we
1: why do we have the receptors in our brain that are able to right? Why why is there
2: even any effect at all? Why is it not just static? Yeah, right. So like, yeah. why is it? Why do our
0: bodies actually, under certain circumstances, yes. manufacture DMT? Then there's, right. there's the stoned
1: ape theory too, right? That like exposure to these drugs from our like early primate ancestors, if we evolved directly from them in that way, perhaps like was one of the things that gave birth to the
2: idea of like consciousness. consciousness or
1: sentience, I should say.
2: Right. Same. I, um, last time I got high, I know I made that joke earlier about like go oh, the, the weed not being as strong as LSD. Uh, it was inedible, I just had one piece. Um, and the entire time for like four hours, I was having this inner dialogue with myself, this very therapeutic inner dialogue with myself about like letting go of um inner anger and like hatred for myself for for past mistakes and for failures and like not living up to my expectations. Simultaneously while I was with my girlfriend and we were like having a good time. I, I never told her this. But at the same this time we was like answer. having this dialogue because it was such a personal experience. And we were like just together, but yeah, at the same time like I would go to the restroom and just kind of be by myself, going to the, taking a piss and like that dialogue would still be going on and with myself and it was very um yeah I think therapeutic would be the right way of putting it. Yeah. i don't know why that happened
1: cannabis is interesting it can be abused of course and like it can be abused and graham hancock he's had interesting experiences with it he had to quit for a while actually he felt you know his relationship with it became too dependent and that was interesting because he was like a big proponent for many years and then he went back on joe rogan after a few years (laughs) and i think oh no (laughs) he ended up smoking again and
3: yeah uh, i believe
1: he's smoking again now but he talked about how his relationship like a couple of years off yeah he talked about how his relationship with it is different now and he's become like less dependent upon it but
0: but also it's it's different too when you eat it versus smoking sure whereas it can be a much more psychedelic experience and it's also it's much more psychedelic at a much lower concentration so when
2: you eat it it's much more psychedelic yeah and by psychedelic, you don't mean like visual, you mean like um, kind oh, like what no, I experienced, I mean, so to speak? It's, it rare. Be. it's it rare that you get visual. It has to be a lot to be visual. I've never experienced visuals, but I've experienced, like I said, this, this different dialogue in my yeah. head, these thoughts that come up that I don't normally have. Right. But that I try to suppress. I, don't know. I mean, I think yeah. there's
1: something to be gleaned from altered states of consciousness in general, obviously, not just like cannabis or LSD, but... Yeah, you know just yep. take caution. No know, know what you're ingesting. Consult your doctor. Like <laughs> consult your doctor.
0: <laughs> Always ask your doctor.
1: Do do your research, you know, look That's into why you are.
0: look into the thing.
1: <laughs> do your own research. Yeah, this, this is medical know. advice. And you know, if you are going to have some kind of a boundary dissolving experience, which boundary is boundary dissolving, thing, yeah. It's a good way to put it. You know, make yeah. sure you're you're with people you trust. Yeah. Um that you're you're in a place that you're safe and comfortable in and that sort of thing.
2: And this is not medical advice. Yeah. Not medical advice, but definitely
1: yeah. uh advice.
2: <laughs> it is advice. It's like, you know, it could be quite useful, but also it's not medical advice. Yeah. <laughs> One well, does I, a casual ayahuasca well, trip.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I know Sometimes people become dependent on the psychedelics too, even though they're not necessarily addictive. They're not as addictive. Yeah, that's the that's the big yeah. danger. It's like oh like, they're not
2: addictive. Yeah, but, but they, think... they're not it's the it's the ideas that you get addicted to. Yeah. It's like what they make you think. No. I
1: think I view them as almost like cheating a bit like (laughs) it's kind of like i think once people have like a really crazy experience on them they want to have that boundary dissolving spiritual experience again like all the time or whatever or they become reliant upon the substance to reach that level of say creativity or or unity with the divine and i think that's a bit of a shortcut i think You know, I think it is possible to have those types of experiences, probably just from meditation. I haven't.
2: had. Yeah, unity with the divine without the psychedelics. Yeah, Have similar kind
1: of experiences and and to feel and experience those sorts of things about the universe and your oneness and all that and these deep understandings without having to like take drugs. So,
3: you know,
2: I agree with you there. Yeah, meditation being a vessel for that. Yeah, like but peak and studying like, and all that yeah, peak flow experiences, perhaps maybe on a more shallow level, but maybe on a deeper level, one could experience like a connection with the divine from um, like performance, like an awe inspiring, yeah. like a performance, like you've done something really difficult, you're transcending your limitations. Dance. I mean, think about dance and, and its cultural significance. Music. Good Lord, oh, music, yeah. man. Yeah, music, yeah, and, music and, dance. and dance to ritual and all of that. Music but... is so mysterious holy yeah. shit yeah yeah we take these sounds around with us in the car we don't know what music but i think music if you were to ask me what the definition of music was i would say it's a, a psychedelic free way of communing with the divine it's like what else could it be
1: it's like a primordial universal language yeah in a way because like the universe is to me musical in a sense and Mm. has that pattern to it like it is full of sound and life and activity right but man if you think about early humans before we were even able to do a lot of the things we were able to do now we could do this yeah Uh, do this wanted to do that <laughs> you know we right. wanted to why i don't know but there's something about wanting
2: to yeah we've always wanted to yeah make that rhythm like carving
1: that- out shells and blowing in them and yeah. finding all sorts of ways to like make sounds it's primal it goes back as early as humans go back to super
2: ancient yeah, yeah. it is a language so, and then it unites people if you think of like concerts like people go from all over the world or all over the country to this one place to hear sounds coming out of this instrument by these people on a stage it's yeah. more than that it's like it unites you
1: across time in a, in a weird transcending kind of universal way I don't know how else to describe it time. to someone who isn't I don't know if you're
2: a musician you're not right I'm not a musician though I appreciate music. I took a music appreciation class in elementary school so I know a few things about music. No, I love yeah, I'm big I'm very keen on music. I
1: guess the experience I'm I'm trying to talk about is something that would be difficult to understand if you're not a musician and haven't like played it, but if you've ever riffed with someone or just improvised and just connected it's like you're having this weird deep musical spiritual like conversation but it's also like a like a spiritual form of sex or something it's i don't know how to describe it
2: is that why musicians smile to each other when they're playing i've yes. noticed
1: that like they really look at each other
2: they'll, they'll smile and they'll make eye contact they're they're in that
1: zone but there's also like there's something about it where like you feel like I said, connected to almost like your ancestors throughout time. Like when I'm hitting a drum, like I'm one here, when I'm playing this it's very, and I'm, and I'm hitting it, there's something in me that recognizes that I'm doing something that my ancestors have been doing for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years since I was a, since people yeah, were-
2: well, then it's like, well, who taught you how to do that? No one, I taught myself, but like- Right, right. Where did the inclination to do it? Yeah, who taught oh, you that you should do it?
1: No one, I just heard it and wanted to do Daniel it. Dano just likes
0: to bang yeah. on things.
2: Yeah, it's- uh
1: Down here now in
0: the garage, he goes in there and does the little- walk.
2: Yeah, I'll stop.
1: But yeah, man, it's it's. I've had like weird, like transcendent experiences while playing music, and and they're like that. They're almost like you're out of time, even like time doesn't exist. And it was it was great growing up to have that too, because it was very therapeutic to me. If I was pissed or angry about something or something shitty had happened to me, you know, like right. jungle, throw some 21 school, pilots on, yeah, like high school or something when you're a teenager and angsty and stuff. Like I could always turn to the drum set. I would go to band practice. And it was like a few hours where I like literally all that stuff would just go away. I could just let it go, just play it out in the kit. And I'm not thinking about any other thing that's let it bothering go. me. Let it go. I'm focusing on that, right? I'm being productive. I'm doing something productive, but I'm also doing something that I enjoy that's fun and that puts me in this sort of like timeless, transcendent kind of state, temporarily where you escape but not just escape you process too i think music.
2: yeah i don't yeah it can be escape. It isn't even the right word can, yeah. yeah many things can be yeah process is a more communicate work. or understand it's very like cathartic. cathartic cathartic yeah.
1: it's Like yeah.
3: Yeah. music, emotions, music yeah. was a very
2: helpful way for me
1: to work that through too. emotions and to let them out it's matter.
2: strange to think that music can have a, a texture and a feeling there's this great group i've always enjoyed since high school called boards of canada they're one of the few electronic acts that I describe as having a real texture to their music. Mm -hmm. And that's like a projection of a physical sense onto something that's purely audio. But the texture of their music I would describe as warm and fuzzy. And that fuzziness literally comes from the old amplifiers and drones and synthesizers that they use and are known to use in their music on purpose to actually make that fuzzy sound. And -hmm. so they're doing it on purpose and it sounds fuzzy and warm and nostalgic is used all the time to describe their music. Very nostalgic. It's like these these feelings that don't describe sound; they describe texture and yeah. feeling and touch. But for music, it's very strange.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we've had a couple musicians on. We're gonna have more. That's for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah, Musicians are fascinating people. To to dedicate your life to yeah. learning the language of an instrument, it's they're they're so essential for society. It's, fun, musicians mean, it's
1: not just fun, but it's like I said, it's therapeutic, but it's spiritual too. There's definitely something deeper about it. And, you know, you feel connected to almost like all humans who have ever lived in a way, because you know that all humans who have ever lived in all cultures, like
2: someone was banging on some shit. Someone was making some music and it's just, it's such a human thing. You know, it's one of the most human things. It's also very difficult to make music. You think of all the music that's on Spotify. Yeah. But those all the, those are all the good musicians that they're telling you about. Think of all the, it's like we have this inkling to make music, but it's very difficult to make music that's worth listening to, and it that's sounds everything. harsh.
1: That's everything. It makes me think of the the Pareto it's true. distribution. Yeah. Right? Peterson talks about the Pareto distribution, and yeah, eighty
2: percent, twenty percent, yeah, so, twenty percent. like, you, yeah. you
1: find that across the board with anything, like for yeah, all writing, for writing all is, is all the books written, right? or like for all the scientific papers, you know, published, how many of them are actually cited? You know, it's like a very right. small percentage of them. So I think it goes along those lines, but you know I, I think it's beyond that because you know even even if you're a musician, I think if you're a true musician, you're gonna just play. It doesn't matter if you become a rock star and you make it or not. You you will just play because it's in you. Like right, I, really, I'm becoming a rock star. Like I haven't been in a band in years. I just play. I play because I like to play. I like to get better at it. It's I enjoy. Nice it. to make electronic, I electronic music.
2: music. That was that was my only musical period of my life. I used to make it. I used to make uh, experimental electronic music. Yeah, but I've never played an instrument. Brent, are were you looking up Boards of Canada? I think you'd like them. They're sort of. They've got like their own inner conspiracy game. theories behind their Shit. their. Some dinosaurs showing up on <laughs> my feed.
0: But yeah, man, picking up the sticks though. Like boards like their board
2: or like boards. B-O-B-O-A-R-D-S of Canada. So... They incept hidden messages in cryptic stuff into their music which is why i think you two would like them yeah they're the wiki for boards of canada is this huge rabbit hole of trying to decipher their their samples these weird cryptic samples that they use and they distort their drum machines and their samples um beyond all comprehension to make them sound more ephemeral and strange check out they're a very cryptic band this record came out like a decade ago
0: yeah, they have like a lot of music, they have man. deep to number of views on their videos, like yeah. thousands to hundreds of thousands. This one from 15 years ago has 1.3 million. There, are, yeah, there are
1: definitely
2: a about
0: pull- anyone
1: thinking about playing an instrument, though, like just yeah. do it, just do it. That, that's the yeah. response. Oh, if, you, if you feel you have any inclination in you at all to do it, do it, like or to sing, picking up the drumsticks and never putting them down was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, and even though I never turned it into a career or never went like professional with it i i You're don't even professional know guy, i don't yeah. even know who i would be if i didn't do it you know i would be a totally like different person in many ways so and it's just helped me it saved me so even if you don't plan on becoming famous as a musician or whatever if you have the inclination pick the damn guitar up you know pick the piano up just do it just pick it up like you'll feel better afterward i promise
0: so should we should we wrap it up for a little over Yeah, up here. We been Paul, like two hours, right? Yeah, well 2 hours and 15 minutes now. Yes. Um is there anything else you wanted to close on Paul and last We didn't talk comments. about Dostoevsky.
2: We missed it. Shit. We got another 2 hours now. That's what it is. 2 hours of Russian literature. We can squeeze it in. They're going to just cut uh, the show off. It's going to Go read. Awesome. You should read Dostoevsky people. Wait, which Dostoevsky? And which one, What what was the question? Which
3: one? Which, which
0: one? All of, them. All
1: of which, them.
2: Which one should people start off with first?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I've only read two. So
2: Which two have you read?
1: I've read Notes from the Underground, which is a very short novella. So I read that in college. And then I... Theodore Dostoevsky. Yeah, and then a couple years ago, I read Crime and Punishment. So
2: I would say read Crime and Punishment first. Uh, Crime and Punishment's people, good. I've never read haven't, it. Really? You haven't read it first, because you'll get... It's a good first entry into his work it's not too difficult to read it isn't too soaked in russian culture it's also the most useful book of his i think it's like you'll you'll get a lot out of it if you're really paying attention it's also just a fucking great well-written book
1: raskolnikov is am i saying that right raskolnikov
2: Raskolnikov, yeah i don't know any like russian pronunciation but yeah it's
1: just a fascinating character like such a well-written character and it's like you feel bad for him but at the same time it's like you do want him to get caught and even he like wants himself to get caught after a while he's like why won't you just catch me
2: like that's it yeah. he want that's right yeah not to spoil it notes from yeah. underground i would say is, is a good Reading book was. to read is their sec, is his uh this person's second entry into dostoevsky both are fantastic my personal favorite though uh was demons okay i have a couple his most political book okay I
1: gotta check out demons. I think yeah. I have a copy of that. I have the uh, I don't see that here in this list. Uh, the translation by that couple. I can't remember their name. Oh,
2: Richard Peviar and Laura Furonsky. Yes. Yes. Um yeah. I actually tried finding them online. I I don't know, I can't find how a way to contact them. I would have loved to have them on my podcast, but who knows? Maybe one day that yeah, maybe. Be.
1: So I read I read their yeah. translation of crime and punishment. And I'm such a book nerd man, like when I'm gonna delve into a piece of literature from another culture or language and I don't know the language, I will sit there on the internet for like 20, 30, 30- to 40 to an hour like just reading about the different translations and the different translators
3: ah, and yeah.
1: reading forums and what you know amazon reviews and like what this person says about this translation as opposed to this one or that before i like decide which one i'm gonna like start with at least
2: translation is the- such an interesting thing to think about too because it's it's the, the words that are in the book they matter at the very beginning of notes from underground it, in their um translation it's uh I'm a sick man, I'm a wicked man, and they made a footnote or something in the introduction about how they decided to go with the word wicked instead of this other word, because wicked, translated from the Russian, was most closely attuned to the original word in Russian. Yeah. But other translations had like um, twisted or something.
1: You lose certain things, you know, when you try to, you know, get transfer meaning. From one language to another. Yeah, translation is is, a, yeah. is an art form that are lost in translation. But, you know, yeah. what's her name? Prevere, Richard Prevere. And I forgot his wife's name. Laura, but, L- L- yeah. Um,
2: I can't say the Russian
1: names. It's real. But so I was. Larissa,
2: Larissa. Richard Paviar and Larissa Volokunsky.
1: Yeah, I came across them when I was looking to read War and Peace, and I ended up picking up all the different translations, and that was how I found out about them, and I was like, oh, I should read that one, but also I should read the Dostoevsky, so I like put that aside. But with War and Peace, I ended up uh, reading the Ann Dunnegan translation Mm. uh, for the, I think, Signet paperback, mainly because it was described as the most accessible to American audiences, and also, they uh, translated all of the French for you in footnotes.
2: Oh, That's Love. also something that's in that Dostoevsky and Demons. You've got this character who speaks French a lot, and then you gotta deal with that. It's it's much they're much hard much books hard to read, to read. Yeah. they can be difficult.
1: One uh, piece worth it. You know, anyone listening, if you've been thinking about tackling it, I know it's a mammoth of a book. How many pages is it? It's a lot, dude. So, th- I think the paperback was like 1,200, 1,400, something like that. Okay. Paperback, so.
2: I but, thought it was like eight. Yeah. I thought it was shorter for some reason.
1: Uh, in hardcover, it would be they would have less pages. I think it's like twelve
3: hundred. Oh,
2: uh, that's still yeah. yeah. I'm gonna. So I wanna, pages. I
1: want to return to War and Peace. Actually, I do want to read it again, but a different translation. I want to read the preview. Uh, yeah, yeah. Talk about nerdy. It's like oh, I read this novel. twice. Yeah, I know. Years. I'm gonna read it
2: again it's in a different, different translation. Oh my god.
1: But yeah, maybe next time we'll, like, delve more into Russian literature and actually talk about some of the themes there with Dostoevsky and, and maybe Tolstoy and stuff. I need to read Demons, so I will get to
0: that. Maybe we could even talk about Mr. Gurdjieff and his magnum opus, Basil yeah. Bob's Tales to His Grandson. Yeah,
1: we didn't even get into Gurdjieff and stuff. And and we talked about Laura, which is interesting because she she's heavily into this philosopher, too, and mystic and his theories. Have you of- heard of
2: Gurdjieff? No, I
1: don't. Uh, think He's a talk...
0: fascinating character. We'll have to talk about him another time. I mentioned
1: okay. on your show. I think I mentioned him a bit. On your oh, show. he's so cool. I
3: forgot.
1: He was the one who I think we were talking about this idea of like uh, living in a state of waking sleep. Remember that? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So that that was man good, is yes. machine. And so Laura, who we talked about earlier, she's actually the one who put us onto his theories because he's one of the mystics, I guess, whose worldviews and teachings that he was teaching back then in the early twentieth century. Aligned very much with the stuff that was coming out of the Ouija board from the Cassiopeians and what they were saying and how they were describing our reality, basically.
3: Gergiev was basically
1: claiming. Jesus. She found like connections between what he was teaching back then and the sort of stuff that they were saying now. So, but yeah, we'll
0: talk about Gergiev. I like Gergiev; he's a great little guy.
3: Yeah, that's
0: enough. All right, Paul, tell where can people find you? Where are you on the Twitter, on the YouTube's, all your things?
2: I'm at twitter.com slash uh, Paul underscore lacrone. YouTube, search my name, same thing, Paul lacrone. Every day I write on my blog. That's penguinlatte.blog slash blog.
1: /blog. And the podcast, is that a separate website or is that on the blog too?
2: That's on the blog, yeah, penguinlatte.blog. Just if you try to hard, it's hard to remember to think of my initials, P L, penguinlatte.
1: Dude, thanks for coming on and chatting with us about all this cool stuff.
2: I enjoyed it. I always love talking about things I never get the chance to talk about in typical NPC culture. So I appreciate this a lot. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we we appreciate appreciate
1: yeah, we'll have you back on. You'll be one of our rotating cast of like right, don't race. forget
0: to like, subscribe, do all the things. We love you people.
1: Yeah. Seriously, and comment and share the video. Like it helps a lot.
0: Tell your parents
1: about tell it. Parents, yeah. you know, tell them we were talking about aliens and and you know,
3: get your shots and be safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your
2: shots and be safe. Later, guys.